Hello and welcome back to the show, my beautiful audience. This is Pop Talk, and it's once again your host, Cody McDonald. I'm joined again by other, not other, very familiar faces, or voices, I should say. <laughs> I've been on this show plenty of times. I got Evan Mead. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Uh, just uh, craziness of the holiday season is setting in. Um, getting ready for some Christmas shopping and, uh, yeah, just reflecting on the fact that a whole other year is coming to an end. I've done a lot of crazy stuff I know, stuff it's this gone year. by, it's gone by way too fast. Yeah. It's crazy. Start, just shop online. Be safe out there. <laughs> <laughs> Do it as much as you can. All right. <laughs> You're, you haven't been drinking again, haven't you? Like the last time we were pretty smashed in the last episode. <laughs> um, well... I just reconnected with a friend I haven't seen in a while, and we only had one beer. Uh, we, we didn't get sloshed, don't worry. He's showing restraint. There's hope. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And also, and also joining us again is Michael Lake, the actor. Hello, thanks for having me. <laughs> Any, anytime, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, this is a genre I have a lot of fun with, so I think it'll be a oh, good chat. nice. Absolutely. This is a subgenre that is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. I don't know about you guys. I'm quite fond <laughs> about movies about Mother Nature just saying, to hell with humanity, and let's just, like, fuck people and just show what I have in store for them. <laughs> Tonight, we are talking about natural disaster films. Now, I... Upon research, I just forgot. Like, if you just say disaster films, it kind of, like, divides into separate categories. No pun intended. <laughs> Where you have your man-made disasters, you have your epidemic and pandemic, you have the alien disaster movies, and then you have the natural disaster movies. So, tonight we're going to be sticking specifically towards natural disaster, just anything weather-related. And mm -hmm. actually... These are kind of the most popular ones out of this genre, but it's almost a subgenre within the subgenre. It's very weird how it breaks down like that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, keeping it with the format, let's start off with categories, shall we? Um, I'm feeling some tornadoes starting off. So do you guys have any certain tornado films you like to bring up? Um, I would like to talk about, well... Um, I have not seen the first movie that comes to mind when people think of tornado disaster movies is Twister. Believe it or not, I haven't, I've only seen snippets of Twister. Um, I haven't seen the whole thing, but I, one, you've only seen snippets of I Twister. Know, oh I my know. God. <laughs> only snippets of Twister. Oh, we're off to a That's great a start. <laughs> well, no, hear me out, Cody, because a tornado disaster movie that does come to mind is Into the Storm, released in the summer of 2014. plot of this movie is essentially... Mm. I like to call it Twister on steroids because I'm... While I've only seen snippets of Twister, I know the basic plot. Like, it's basically <laughs> about tornado chasers. Into the Storm is about... <laughs> yeah. Is about... So in Twister, they chase... What is it? One tornado? In 
or, or like well, they chase several tornadoes. tornadoes. In uh, I like to think of Into the Storm as tor- Twister on steroids because this yeah. tornado that they chase, the tornadoes that they chase are like monster tornadoes that rip apart airports yeah. and send 747s flying all over the place. Like it's it's like laughably yeah. unrealistic with how bad the, these tornadoes like fuck shit up. Well, it's funny you actually bring up both of them simultaneously because really those are the only two tornado films that jump to mind. Um, have you seen these, Michael? Yeah, I've seen uh, I've seen Twister. I've seen all of Twister, not just snippets. Okay, of Okay, well, let Michael talk about so, it. Like, um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, um, yeah, I think Twister is a very solid film. It's very like interesting at the time. It's a very like '90s film, but it features like a pretty stellar cast. And I think it's like a pretty like fun movie. There's some big kind of animated sort of exaggerated characters and there's some great character actors in it. So you got, yeah, like Twister is you got Philip yeah, Se- something I'd watch. I love Phil- yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman as Dusty in this movie. <laughs> he's he, has, like, he has some great lines and he's got some great moments. It's the yeah. extreme. <laughs> it's the suck zone. <laughs> Like you think this guy, like this guy's gonna go on to do like Academy Award nominated realist, like really, you know, dramatic mm-hmm. roles, but he started off with just acting like someone who just came from like a rock concert. Wasn't so he, funny? Yeah, for wasn't sure. he in Patch? I think. Sorry he- to interrupt. Wasn't he in Patch Adams at around the yeah. same time he made this movie? He must have been. Yeah, yeah. Because Patch Adams was in the late nineties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, this was like Twisters, like ninety six or something. Ninety six. Like- yeah. It's Jean, yeah, yeah. it's Jean de Bont's second film that he did right after doing Speed because he was a cinematographer right. in the 1980s with doing movies like Die Hard and uh, I think uh, The Hunt for Red October was another one that he shot. Oh, very and nice. Speed came out. Speed came out. That was a big hit. And then Twister came out. Tw- Twister to me is it's it's such yeah, like as you said, Michael. It is a very ridiculous yeah. film, but it's one of those like really solid summer blockbusters that has like. It has like really good sound design. It has a, a good, you know, like yeah. it has really good special effects. It's like kind of like the definitive tornado film. I think Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt have like semi good chemistry. I mean, it, it is, it is okay. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I know, hey Evan, I know that I've, I, I don't know if you know this, but I, I've listened to a couple of Soda Speaks before in the past. Oh, I don't know if you know this? But I'm glad I, you're that I'm one very, guy who listens I, to our show. <laughs> <laughs> so you're that I'm guy. very familiar on the way that you 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 like to bring up the plots <laughs> of movies. Well, I don't know about you guys, but like I'm basically about to like summarize all the plots to every film we're about to bring up tonight. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Hey man, I'm just gonna take a sip. Yeah. I'm gonna take a sip of my drink, and here's the plot to all these films. You ready? <laughs> a recently separated man. <laughs> <laughs> He's either he's either neglected by his formal partner or his children, and he's feeling you know like oh I wish I can it can work out between us but oh there's a natural disaster happening and I'm in the midst of it and through this adventure he wins them back his partner and or his children. That's the plot. That's the plot that to every film we're accurate. talking about. <laughs> And similar, yeah. and similar to Twister, like Twister is all about him trying to sign divorce papers from Helen Hunt, and then yeah, he was right. he was a formal he was a former uh, storm chaser because Helen Hunt is kind of like the leader of the storm chaser crew, 
and he kind of gets wrapped up when this invention that they call Dorothy, named after Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> a device that has all these it has all these like cube sensors inside that once you like plant it near a tornado, all these sensors will get sucked up into the tornado and start like like I guess like there's a lot of science behind <laughs> it, but it basically like determines the the startup of a twister so it gives people a little bit more of a warning a a warning to like go to their shelters and all that like they're studying tornadoes but what's so comical about this film is that there's a competition rivalry in this film and it's led by carrie elways doing a very questionable southern accent (laughs) and they're all they're all they're all in like black cars because it's like oh black means they're bad Oh, <laughs> as opposed yeah. to like all these colorful characters in the main storm chaser crew yeah and that's kind of what it is it's just them chasing it's just going from like scene for scene of them just like oh there's a tornado here we're gonna get close to it oh we're about to die oh the tornado went away yeah that's basically the movie every time they're in like any yeah. sort of form of danger the tornado just says all right i'm out <laughs> <laughs> Now, I have seen Into the Storm. Yeah. I guess we'll talk about both of these simultaneously because these really are the only two f- tornado films that jump to mind. I remember seeing this film as like an early screener, like two weeks before it got released. We, my friend and I just got invited to it. And yeah. I don't remember much of the film other than just a scene where like the main guy is like in that storm chaser vehicle and he gets sucked up into the tornado and he goes so high up that he's like past the clouds and it's so quiet and then he just drops Mm. back down into the tornado and it starts spinning up again like i remember thinking "Ooh, the sound design is really good in this movie like that was kind of effective but other than that it just came off like a generic uh kind of oh wait wasn't it found footage it was found footage you're absolutely right. Oh, and I just remembered that. There are two... <laughs> a common thing you'll notice about disaster movies is factions of characters will come inter- intermingled with other factions of characters. In this case, you have the Storm Chasers who are in their big, like, armored truck that's, like, half tank, half truck because they want to yeah. get... The guys... The, the head Storm Chaser's goal is to get in, in mm-hmm. into the center of a tornado to actually photo film it because that's never been done before apparently. Yeah. So he wants to be like a, a documentary a weather documentary yeah. pioneer. And uh his assistant is played by Lori from The Walking Dead. So um and I also and I, all I remember oh, is that right. Lori was in it. Yeah, the yeah, yeah. uh Thorn Oaken Shield <laughs> yeah. from the Hobbit movies played by who is played by Richard Armitage was also in this movie. He plays the principal of some high school that is caught in the path of a tornado, and he ha- and he doesn't get along with his kids. <laughs> yeah, seriously, Cody, you're right. Like, what the hell is it with, you know, bad father figures in disaster movies or neglectful parents in disaster movies? I don't understand. There's a few, uh, there's a few beats or rhythms that you see in quite a few of these movies, Cody, you're correct. And I think there is usually some kind of family sort of drama to to kind of give the hero a personal stake in it like they're they always have to have you know something that they're fighting for so i think yeah i think there's that they contentious family kind of kind of relationships are are definitely a key feature of this genre (laughs) i think what it is is that they hollywood must have found that like you know the the average joe the the blue collar sort of 
livelihood of people that are like that probably just you know they hold their family dearly and if anything comes between that then yeah they're not gonna stop anything from from breaking that relationship up right but it's just yeah. it's so it's so tired and it's so like something you come to expect from these movies that it's almost like uh here we go again you know going through the motions it's it's funny it's a common thing that will definitely be kind of treading over and over again tonight when we talk <laughs> about these films because really that's all it's about um yeah yeah not much to really say about i mean i can't really remember into the storm that much because it's all that i remember but do you guys you said you've seen this michael right into the storm no i i was conflating it with another movie in my head but no i haven't seen that so I mean, so yes. michael you've only seen snippets of it huh no less than snippets none of it <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> maybe a, maybe a trailer maybe if we're counting a trailer as a oh, okay <laughs> Twist, Twister is something you definitely need to watch, Evan. It, there's an opening scene yeah. that is, I mean, I don't know if it's a spoiler. I think it is yeah, just no, an opening I've scene. Seen, I've that, seen the opening scene where the family gets sucked out of a bomb, where the, where the husband of a family gets sucked out of a bomb shelter. Yeah, that's horrifying. It, it's pretty well done, actually. It, it, it gets me every time, actually. Like, just imagine that you're a kid watching your son, or watching your dad, sorry, getting sucked up into a tornado and... Apparently that was Steven Spielberg's idea because he was the executive producer of the film. Oh, okay. Mm. He he said to Jean de Bont because oh yeah, there's oh god, there's a lot of history of this movie like where they didn't really expect this to become as a big a hit because there was a lot of production problems and the script was getting written as the movie was getting made and all that. Like it was a lot of rewrites, a lot of yeah, yeah. just kind of stuff like that. You definitely look more into that. But Steven Spielberg pitched the idea of like. Wouldn't it be so great if you start off the movie with your main character witnessing their father getting killed by a tornado, and that kind of launches Helen Hunt's character's, uh, I think it's Joe. Yeah, I think her name's Joe in the movie. That kind of like launches her kind of complex relationship of why she wants to get to tornadoes, like get close to tornadoes. Mm. You know, right. it's interesting. I mean, that was uh, from huh. Into the Storm. Uh, it's basically thrill seekers who, uh, like, they just want to get to tornadoes because they think they're cool. And then you have mixed the thrill seekers with the, the like, high school students and the high school principal who are just a average Joes. It's like the mixed the thrill seekers with the average Joes. There really isn't much to it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of yeah. hollow. Wait, wait, wasn't there two redneck characters in Into the Storm think, that were, like, recording the whole time? I don't remember. One of the oh yeah no I remember something I remember like in halfway in the movie you think that both of them got sucked up into the tornado but as like a post credit like after the post credit scene in the movie like after it's done it just shows them like hanging in the tree by their underwear <laughs> or something like that I don't know I it's definitely it's definitely not their underwear but it's like they're just like oh look at us we survived and we're still recording we're gonna go put this up on YouTube or whatever like it's. Wow. <laughs> I just remember going, what the fuck? This is dumb. <laughs> like, uh, suck me sideways. <laughs> That's how I can end that category. <laughs> Tornadoes. <laughs> Why don't you go blow me, tornado? Would you say this genre? Right, let's, let's go. Would you say this genre blows? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think it was physically possible, but it both sucks and blows. <laughs> Let's let's go to an eruption. I like to interrupt this podcast and bring us to the volcano territory. Oh yeah. 
So let's just <laughs> let's just get this out of the out of the way right now. Let's go to 1997, gentlemen, and let's talk about the two volcano films that came out the same year. One called Volcano. Volcano. <laughs> I got it. And, this movie has and and this and and Dante's Peak. So we got two the two yeah. volcano films going back to back here. I have seen right. the second half of Volcano. I have seen all of Dante's Peak. What about you, Michael? Okay. I've seen I've definitely seen Volcano. And I don't think I've seen Dante's Peak. Oh, okay. I, I, just I was about say, to ask right away, like, what's 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 your guys' vote if you've seen these? Uh, well, which I can't. <laughs> well, I all I'm gonna say is they're very different movies. One is set in the country. They are, yeah. One yeah. is set in the country, like in a rural, ta- small town. The other is set in a major in a major city, Los Angeles. And by the way, yeah. Um, but not to get ahead of ourselves, but Volcano has one of the cheesiest taglines I've ever heard for a movie. The coast yeah. is toast. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, it's so good. To me, there to me, there's something so funny just about the the overt simplicity of the the title just being volcano. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't think a studio today would just make a movie so kind of base. Like, they would have to like jazz it up somehow. It would be called like the Hell Storm, whatever. But like, it's just called volcano and that's the <laughs> and to thing me, that will never not be funny and and that's the thing is that volcano volcano is such a hollywood movie like i mean like it, when you watch it you can definitely tell there's a clear difference between the amazing visual effects of the lava streaming down the los angeles road and then you cut to the reverse of like just all the actors saying, "What are we gonna do about this lava pouring down the street?" And it's clearly like a, a difference. There's like you feel like that 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 it's clearly a sound studio, like they're just pointing at something mm. past the camera that they're clearly not are interacting with properly. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It, and it's one that I watch the most out of these two. I in you know what? Right now, I think I would prefer if you're talking about scientific realism. Dante's Peak is definitely. A film that portrays a volcano accurately. Yeah. Like pretty much all you get is like ash and smoke and then the initial like eruption at the end and you kinda see little bits of lava here and there. And volcano, it's just lava. Well and it's just like also, that's all it is. It's yeah. just it like it's just lava. <laughs> In volcano, yeah. the premise is actually based off of, you know, something that is real but won't happen. Um for example, the plot of Volcano, for those of you who haven't seen it, is the... Le- it's to- Tommy Lee Jones is not so hot of a father. Yeah, <laughs> that, there you okay. go. <laughs> the, Le Brea- plot is, the disaster is the La Brea Tar Pits, which once was an active volca- a volcano years ago, uh, erupt. Yeah. The La Brea Tar Pits is a real landmark in Los Angeles, and it erupts yeah. into a super volcano and uh, everything goes to shit in L.A. So, but Dante's Peak is based off of this random-ass volcano that they don't really think will go off, but, uh-oh, it's going to erupt, and it's going to bury this small town in ash and lava and everything. Now, please correct me if I'm wrong, but from my understanding, Dante's Peak actually pay- was paying uh, was was actually inspired by a real volcanic eruption in the U.S., uh, Mount St. Helens, I think Mount, the, the eruption of Mount St. Helens mm. was a big inspiration for Dante's Peak. I don't know for sure, but um, 
If you right. if anyone wants to verify that, go ahead. But I just remember reading about the eruption of Mount St. Helens, and it was roughly the same idea, like rural American town devastated by a horrible mm. volcanic eruption. Yeah, no, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, and it does definitely go into the tragedy a little bit more in Dante's Peak. Like that's what I mean. It's it's a lot more realistic. But but there are some unintentional funny parts in the film. Like I, like there's one part where there's some like secondary character that was trying to like get across a bridge on his car with a couple other people, and his car didn't make it, and he's trying to get out of the car because the bridge is getting like pushed by this like almost tsunami of like broken tree branches and everything and he's trying to get out of his car and him and the bridge and his car him the bridge and the car literally get tipped over all the way and for some reason the sound editors were like let's just throw the wilhelm i remember in this. this character's death that was that was william Sh- <laughs> why that was william shatner's character I- yeah just for those of you, oh <laughs> william shatner <laughs> no, was in dante's that, peak that's no, no, that's not William it's Shatner, not? but it, it it's funny. It does it does look like him though, actually. Yeah. Oh, it's not. I can picture the actor's face. It does look like him, but it's not. <laughs> that's so funny. But, that's so funny. But let's say, it does um, look like him. Why did they get? They got big action stars for both of these movies. Like Volcano had Tommy Lee Jones, and uh, in a weird casting choice, Pierce Brosnan is in Dante's Peak. And what's it's so strange that mm-hmm. um. He uh, lost his wife, like, at one point, I think, and he's instructed to go check out this volcano in this small town. And because he's a single widow, he befriends the local... She's not the mayor. She's, like, the town, like, spokesperson or whatever, played by... Oh, I thought she was the mayor. Yeah, I thought she, I thought Linda Hamilton was the mayor. That, it would make sense if she was, because it's such a small town. Yeah, uh, I think she is the mayor, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. she's right. the mayor, and essentially, like... She and Pierce Brosnan kind of start a budding relationship, and it brings them closer when he saves her whole family in, like, you know, when everything goes to hell. Um, And literally, when everything does go to hell, um, I remember the saddest scene that made... Okay, so (laughs) I want to talk about two scenes, if it's okay with you, Cody, that made me feel in each of these movies. Like, you remember how when we... On my show, so to speak... We you talked about the traumatic scene where the subway worker melts in the lava and the, that made me feel yes. terror and that made me feel sad for the guy who who just disintegrates yeah. in front of this lava. It's a, it's it's an effective yeah. scene, yeah. Um, like I, I could definitely look past it now, but the scene yeah. that made me feel in Dante's Peak, I remember mm-hmm. watching it with my brother on the first time we ever saw it was on TV and we almost cried when the grandma gets exposed to the acid lake and she dies that was yeah so heartbreaking yeah her her you can definitely tell she's trying to save her grandkids when she gets into the lake and just pushes the boat to shore and just see, hearing her just scream because like she's in boiling hot water it, it's a it's it's tough it's generally kind of it's 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 tough it's tough to watch that yeah. they, they play it up kind of straight yeah yeah, it's 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 that's why well that's what I mean it's yeah. very effective in its realism yeah. going back to that. Yeah. And Volcano ends with the funniest sort of way ever where they they they're basically maneuvering the lava to go in certain places. That's what's so funny about this movie. Yeah. yeah and then I it, and that. then it, and it and, and then it ends with a fucking Randy Newman song of I love LA. What? As there's a volcano literally <laughs> erupting as the final shot of the movie. 
It says uh, uh, volcano status active as they're playing like I love LA <laughs> by Randy Newman. Yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? How am I supposed to feel right now? <laughs> That's oh, weird. It's so funny. That's an ab- that a, a, a lot of yeah. these disaster movies have very abrupt shifts in tone. I've noticed. Well, speaking of abrupt yeah. shifts in tone. Why don't we talk about the <laughs> why don't we talk about the two asteroid films that came out a year right after that? Okay. Starting oh, with a, yeah. starting with a starting with a personal favorite of both Evan and mine's Armageddon and Deep Impact. I feel like we're can we I feel like we're gonna yeah. have more to say about Deep Impact this time because Lyle and I have talked about Armageddon several times on So to Speak. We talked about it on um on our, we talked about it on our uh, Guilty Pleasures episode, and we talked about it on our first episode ever about bad movies. Armageddon is, like, mm. in terms of its its scientific realism, Armageddon is laughable. Because, um, oh, we've, God, said, yeah. we've said it before, like, an asteroid the size of Texas is going to hit Earth in less than three weeks. By the way, if that actually were, if we were to discover a Texas-sized asteroid coming to uh, coming toward us... And we have less than three weeks to get to do something about it. We're dead, cause. Uh, but no, we have these. We we can't call <laughs> astronaut oil drillers, and um, we can't. Oh, by the way, the trope of uh, the inter- I feel like the pop talk uh, formula for talking about these disaster movies is going to give some stuff that about Armageddon that we haven't talked about before. So the uh, trope of the neglectful father definitely applies, and not only that, another trope that is common in the <laughs> the neglectful father's child is romantically involved with someone the dad hates. In this case, Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I've said it before. But if you don't like their love story in this movie, Poppin' Jersey Girl, you'll feel much better. Because ben, Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck reunite for that, and it's much, it's better, it's a better movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, you know, oh, you, so you two have clearly seen both of these films, yeah. right? I've seen. I like to talk. I like to say more yeah. about Deep Impact because we haven't talked about this. This is like a so to speak pop talk first because we've never talked about Deep Impact. I don't think on this show, on this show, or our, or my, on your show or my show. But uh, yeah, Armageddon. Um, right. It has some great. It has a great cast. That's all I can. It has a great cast. Um, it's got some epic yeah. scenes. My favorite scene is the scene with the president's speech, and the guys are walking towards the space shuttles to go, and the whole launch scene. That's a truly epic movie moment, and I actually feel like that's the one part of this movie where it feels legitimately powerful to watch. But other than that, it, it feels a bit like we're just trying to do the Independence Day speech kind of scene. Oh, uh, but it's still fine. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's still I, fine. I hear you. It's still fine. <laughs> I hear you. But the, yeah. to be the Armageddon speech, the president's speech in Armageddon happens in the middle of the movie, and Independence Day it happens at the end. So, um, yeah. The other thing I want to talk about is mm. uh, so we talked about abrupt shifts in tone. Um, there are two, the two most oh, abrupt God. shifts in tone in this movie that I'd like to talk about are, okay, so <laughs> there's, um, no, there's three of them that stand out to me. There is this, um, <laughs> the, the general, the big general that is in charge of the space command unit at the Pentagon is talking about incoming objects headed towards, you know, earth and the space shuttle Atlantis has just exploded. So 
they don't really know what's going on and then they're tracking objects entering earth's atmosphere they don't know they're asteroids they think it's missiles coming from a foreign country and then as a result they scramble a bunch of jets and then the generals the general played by keith david says until we understand what's going on here we go to defcon 3 immediately jump smash cuts to new york city and some dude is bot biking with his little pug on a bike hey little richard you know I mean man we're going to the top baby big time i'm like is this a disaster movie and then from that you have him confronting <laughs> this polynesian dude in the street say like if you were christian i've been throwing your fat pineapple eating ass through the window and by the way Racial stereotype, and then and then literally, literally, literally a meteor literally like goes right down and like destroys the whole block. Yeah, no. And by the way, um, <laughs> racial stereotypes galore. Guess who directed this fucking movie? For all two of you who don't know out there, uh, I think it was that guy named Cody McDonald. Such a hack. Oh yeah. Movie. Oh my god. Oh, I think it. No, his name. No, Cody. His name was Michael May. Michael, Michael May, <laughs> Michael May. Oh my God! Yeah. yeah. No, the the yeah. I think yeah. we talked about this before. There, there are just so many crazy shifts in tone in this film. One of the most. Like, uh, I, I, one more I want. I, I, I think I. One more I want to bring. Oh up. sure, yeah, sorry. The whole incident, the whole scene where they discover what the threat of this movie is. So, um, astronomers at NASA basically. By the way. The ash, the giant Texas astro size asteroid is spotted by some farmer in the middle of nowhere, and he's not getting along with his wife. In fact, there's a scene where it's like, "I want to name her Dottie after my wife. She's a vicious, life sucking bitch from which there is no escape." I'm like, <laughs> and then it cuts to NASA informing the president of the United States, "Yeah, this thing." Um, is this going to hit us? Oh, we're figuring that out right now. What kind of damage are you talking about? Oh, uh, total, sir. It's what we call a global killer. The end of mankind. Doesn't matter where it hits. Nothing will survive. Not even bacteria. Two seconds later, a Such... dude runs in. We have 18 days before it hits Earth. And then smash cut to Bruce Willis chucking golf, hitting golf balls at Greenpeace protesters. What a horrible tone shift. Set... Oh, and set to ZZ Top. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh, what I was gonna say was, um, I'll let Michael speak in a second. But the the one big takeaway that I get from Armageddon is that the mission itself, everything goes wrong. Even then, everything down to like them just going up to before they even get to the asteroid, they just go up and they take a pit stop at this Russian space station to fuel up on more gas, and even that goes wrong. Yeah, like, the whole fucking station almost blows up because of a gas leak. And Peter Storm and there. I'm thinking, and I, Peter Stormare. I was literally. I was. Yeah, yeah. Peter Stormare. Oh yeah, yeah. He's really good. He, oh yeah. Well, Peter Stormare steals the movie. Like it's either him or Steve Buscemi who steals the movie. Ah, Fargo yeah. reunion. There we go. <laughs> That's why um, I told you touch I'll, nothing but your bunch of cowboys. <laughs> after they all got off into the, they all took off into the space shuttles after the Russian space chasing scene. I was literally waiting for someone to say, "Boy, we're off to a great start." <laughs> Like we we haven't even got to the fucking asteroid yet, and we all just almost died. Yeah, like it's just so funny. Uh, wait, Michael, yeah. what did you think of Armageddon? Sorry. So so funnily enough, I don't know if you guys know this or not. The very first time I experienced Armageddon was with you Seriously? guys when we watched it last year. Was that ah. when we met? <laughs> yeah, that was the very first time I ever saw it. Oh, okay. I was okay. like, 
I was like, I felt like I had seen it because I knew all the jokes about it, and um, I I knew kind of the mania kind of surrounding that movie. Yeah. But I had a lot. I had a lot of fun specifically in that context, just picking apart what a crazy ass movie it was. Yeah. Uh, and I was experiencing it for the first time, just to hear the kind of like, just to just to kind of hear from someone who had more experience with the movie talk about how funny and weird it was was actually quite an engaging experience. I think that's the way. David to do it. had um, that was David's first time seeing it too, yeah. and he was like, "I understand why you guys think this is bad. I think this is fun. It's like, yeah, it is fun, but it's laughable." <laughs> and uh. I think I'm going to circle back to this maybe in my final moments or my, my final thoughts tonight, but we've touched on it briefly. I really do think that the cast makes a big difference in a disaster movie. You might not think of, you know, the human actors necessarily having a huge amount of weight or tipping the scales at all in, a, in an effects-driven kind of blockbuster movie, but I actually do think, in some of my research, I think that the human cast really does make a difference for sure to the quality of your disaster movie and no one's no one's doing like incredible work in armageddon but the fact that there are some fun character actors in it like steve buscemi definitely like kind of elevated the experience yeah. for me. it's a very good point yeah it, it's it means very <laughs> yeah. comparable to twister where just on that storm yeah. chaser scene you have or on that storm chaser team you have so many uh yeah. Like variety of people. I mean, there's the guy Alan Ruck, like Cameron from Ferris Bueller. Yeah, you know, like there's like there's there, there's so many like you know it's very eclectic like different types of faces that you see in movies, and the same can be said about Armageddon, like Michael yeah. Duncan Clark and Michael Steve Clark, Buscemi Michael, and Owen Michael Wilson. Clark Duncan. Sorry, I got to correct him. Michael Clark Duncan. May he rest in peace. What the yeah. what the hell? Were, what name did I just say? Michael Duncan. Michael Duncan Clark. <laughs> Sorry. So good. I'll put <laughs> I'm sure he's out there somewhere, that man. Mm-hmm. And you're doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. May he rest in peace. He, pa- he he actually passed away ten years ago. Yeah, yeah. Oh he was, oh, that long he ago. was great in the Green I remember Mile. That, yeah. 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 Green Mile. Best 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 performance yeah. in that movie. Yeah, no, oh, he was God. great. Um Owen Wilson, Steve Buscemi, Peter Stromer, like we said. Uh Keith David, uh, what's his name? Kit, Billy Bob Thornton. But, but yeah, Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's a, like, that's what I mean. Like these movies are entertaining more of its cast. Now I know that we haven't talked about Deep Impact that much because very comparable to this category that we just tackled, where there's one that's more realistic and there's one that's more Hollywood and just kind of crazy. Deep Impact is mm-hmm. definitely the more realistic movie in terms of like. Okay, if we got word that it an is. asteroid is coming to Earth, it, it's like, how do we handle this? Well, there's really not much we can do. We just have to sort of wait the inevitable. And it handles well, it realistically in a way where, well, yeah. Wait, are you about to say it, Evan? Yeah. Hang uh, on. I, well, I'm actually, well, I was going to, well, I have a, I have a couple thoughts on Deep Impact that are in relation to your format. But one thing I would like to point out is, actually, I'll let you finish your thought. Go ahead. Well, I actually thought you were about to say, like, the more realistic movie to handle, like, an asteroid hitting Earth was that Canadian film Last Night. Ah, uh, I brought that, that up. Came out, that, mm. 
I, yeah, that, that uh, it also came out in 1998. It's a Canadian film where you, it's set in Toronto. It's shot in Toronto, and it's just people. You don't even see special effects or the asteroid. You're just watching a natural human drama of just people sp- spending the last few days of their lives together. Yeah, and it's kind of like I remember. A I remember one of our. I remember one of our teachers in school actually broke it down where it's like you start off. You start off with last night. You know, it's like a very re- realistic drama. And then you move on to Deep Impact, where it's like, okay, some special effect, heavy-handed stuff, okay. And then you get to fucking Armageddon, and it's just bombastic bullshit. Yeah. It's like he, he, there's like an escalation on like how you do movies. Yeah. You know? No, like, and the, the <laughs> whole idea funny. is like, like the most heartfelt drama didn't that didn't rely that wasn't special effects heavy came from Canada. I think that was the point he was trying to make about it, it's a point he's making yeah. about Canadian cinema, like. If we don't have the money that Hollywood does, we have the heart that Hollywood does not. Which makes me feel now proud. Now the to- problem is... Oh yeah, no, it makes me proud as well. Absolutely. Sorry. Oh, I was just about to say, the the problem is with Deep Impact, I don't remember this fucking movie. That's okay, because <laughs> I do. It's not, yeah. Michael, have you seen Deep it's Impact? It's not quite... I have seen it, but I would agree very much in the camp because it's not as notorious as Armageddon. I do very much think it's like the okay. forgotten so of the two movies. The cast <laughs> isn't quite okay. The cast isn't quite as yeah. iconic, but the the most iconic person in this movie is Morgan Freeman as the president of the United States, and uh, yeah. Elijah Wood, who was not known for Lord of the Rings at the time. Lord of the Rings hadn't come out yet, so Elijah Wood was known for uh, Flipper up in that point, and that little role he had in Back to the Future Part <laughs> 2. It has Elijah Wood, Morgan Freeman, Taya Leone, and that's... Oh, John Favreau and Robert Duke... John, an unknown John Favreau is in it as one of the astronauts. And oh, wow. Oh, wow. Robert Duvall is the commander of the ship that goes to stop the asteroid. So the plot, in terms of the realism, yeah, the realism is a lot more, like, open-ended. The movie opens with student astronomers discovering a comet that could hit Earth, and they actually... um it, they discover that the comet is like two years away, and then like eight months, a year before the comet is about is about to hit, Taya Leone is an investigative reporter who there's a there's a bit in this scene where you actually kind of forget it's a disaster movie, and it feels like a Tom Clancy wannabe because she's investigating mm. the resignation of the Secretary of Defense, which is right out of a uh, a Jack Ryan piece. And um, it and then and then when she she right. I don't know how for some, while she's in, investigating and doing this story she stumbles upon an acronym E L E and he thinks it's a it's a woman that the Secretary of Defense <laughs> played by James Cromwell might I add had an affair with um, hmm. but uh, it turns out that E L E is an acronym for extinction level event and because she discovers a simple acronym that anyone could have Googled. That means the president of the United States has to break to the world. I've known this for a year, but I'm telling the world now. A comet is coming, and we have a plan to stop it. But in case that plan fails, we also have a backup plan to preserve our way of life. So (laughs) the scenario, like, instead of depending on... By the way, they send up a crew to stop the asteroid. And instead of taking oil drillers and training them to be astronauts, they train the astronauts (laughs) to fucking drill. No, seriously, they tell the astronauts, That's here's funny. the drill, 
drill, and plant bombs. The end. So they took Ben Affleck's advice. On the... <laughs> yeah, they That's took funny. Ben Affleck's advice. Yeah. So because Ben Affleck literally approached Michael Bay on the set of Armageddon was like, shouldn't it? Wouldn't it make sense if it's the other way around? If we just train astronauts to be oil drillers? And Michael Bay's response was literally, "Shut the fuck up." Yeah. Go do your job, Ben. <laughs> that was a very. That was a very infamous YouTube clip for a while. Where, I remember that. Where circuit. Ben Affleck is like, where Ben Affleck is like, well, I told Michael, wouldn't it be easier to just like, how yeah. hard can it be? It was, fr- it was from the in your drill. <laughs> it was from the DVD yeah. commentary, but yeah. he, he does, he did. Yeah, Michael Bay signed off on that being in the commentary. So, uh, the other, yeah. the other, and then so so the the whole re- and then. One of the thing I'd like to point out, Cody, is remember all those like character tropes that are in dark are cliche for disaster movies. None of those tropes are in here. You don't have the neglectful father. You don't have that's true. You don't yeah. have the wash up loser. You just have a smart high school kid who discovered a comet, and he they actually throw in a little subplot where. He has to marry his high school girlfriend just so he can save his girlfriend's family and get them into the national and make them qualify for the national lottery that's going to save everyone. Because there's a very real possibility that the space mission to blow up the comet may not go to plan. So the backup plan is dig some caves in the Appalachian Mountains and put up 1 million people in the caves for two years until the dust cloud make makes the atmosphere breathable again, which, but unfortunately mm. um, that's in case the comet does hit and destroys all life on earth. So yeah. that plot is actually the most focused on plot in the whole movie. The bit with the space team going up is actually almost a subplot. And there's really not much to it. You have the the, the younger astronauts butt heads with the old astronauts, kind of like in Space Cowboys. Like, Robert Duvall is like a veteran astronaut who's leading the mission, and the younger guys, played by John Favreau and a bunch of other people I don't remember, like, that was okay. Hmm. The one part where I actually cared about those characters was when uh, they understand that in order to blow up this comet and save the world, we, we have to sack, we have to flaunt, we have to kamikaze our ship into the comet and detonate our nukes inside the comet when our ship flies right through it so before i don't remember any now, of this before, it's so funny before yeah. they before <laughs> they actually do this they there's a scene where they get on uh the video camera on the ship and they say goodbye to all their families and it's really touching and um uh in armageddon you have these little sub disaster scenes where asteroid fragments destroy major cities in deep impact they blow up they blow the comet into two pieces and one of the fragments actually hits earth and destroys like most of the east coast like they there's a there's a the most famous scene is where a the comet crashes into the atlantic ocean and it sends a colossal tidal wave that rips New York City to shreds and just destroys everything. And yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. I remember the vibe out of this film was like it was so. Like I, I will get, I will agree with you, Evan. There's definitely a lot more effort put into the script in terms of characterization and pacing and trying to create this realism. Like there's not a lot, a lot of action scenes. It's just more about strategy and how, like strategy, strategy and how do you handle a certain colossal event like this but then when you get to the last minute sort of tragedy where there is that huge wave coming towards 
coming towards New York, and then Taylor Leone and the love interest are kind of just there on the beach awaiting their demise. That wasn't the love interest. The special... That was that. Uh, that was her estranged father. Yeah, that that plot. Oh, sorry, father. That subplot okay. was kind of thrown in at the end. The fact that the tidal wave was so unrealistic looking, as like the visual effects were not really that great. Had this movie be made today, with this craft and the special effects we have today. I think I would have bought it a little bit more as like a, oh my God, this is such a tragic little event. But because not much happens in the film and there's, I mean, guys, I'm kind of the guy that like, if I want to have a disaster movie, I do want to just turn off my brain and watch expendable people hmm. die at the hands of mother nature. Like, I don't care. I don't want to yeah. see a human drama and let, because there's like this weird middle ground with deep impact where it's like is it wanting to be like a last night or is it wanting to be like an armageddon it's trying to do both yeah and that's why i don't i don't think it works trying to do both at the same time so that's kind of that's i don't know i i respect it for being realistic but i also don't think it's as memorable as the other ones that's just my two cents yeah, yeah. uh i think deep impact uh you're right cody deep impact has uh it definitely is is the more human of the two like if you last night probably i haven't seen last night but based on what we've learned from it it probably has the most human element to it because it just focuses on people and deep impact focuses on civilians as much as it focuses on the government and the astronauts yeah armageddon focuses on just the astronauts and the military that's it it doesn't the human element barely exists like the the everyman if you (laughs) if you had to vote michael which one would you prefer uh i'd probably say armageddon just for the enjoyment factor i'd get out of watching it like yeah like i'm kind of with you on that i don't think deep impact was particularly memorable um that's i don't think i've ever gone to revisit that's so interesting didn't leave too didn't leave too deep of an impact <laughs> on me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I I had fun watching it specifically because I watched it in the context where I was watching it with you guys and our friends group. So that's probably why I'd have to pick it yeah, up. Yeah, I liked it. <laughs> what about you, Evan? Um, yeah. In terms of its story and characters, Deep Impact is technically the better film, but Armageddon has the most fun factor, and that I will agree. Mm. Armageddon's All right, more well, it's unanimous. Fun. Armageddon's more fun, but <laughs> yeah. Deep Impact will Deep Impact will make you feel more. But you, okay, uh, sure. yeah, sure, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> uh, but it is yeah. definitely unanimous. So, oh my God, we all Michael Bay for the win. Oh, Michael man. Bay for the win. Yeah. <laughs> this man wants to blow up the fucking Earth. So be it. Blow it up, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that was category two. So I got two more categories for you guys, and then the fifth category, oh my god, category five. Let's just do a free-for-all, and I'd love to hear picks that you guys have if we don't touch upon with these next two categories. Okay. So the next category, I want to talk about earthquakes. So the only two earthquake movies that I want to talk about, and I need you guys to perhaps back me up on this because I... If I claim that I'm actually a disaster movie fan, I'm kind of a fraud because I haven't seen the classical disaster films like Earthquake from the 1970s and the Poseidon Adventure and the Towering Inferno. I haven't seen these movies, so I I automatically am a fraud. I should have seen these. Uh, I haven't seen... 
Okay, I've I haven't seen Poseidon Adventure and I haven't seen I, I haven't seen any of these movies. I have, however, seen uh, Poseidon, which is a remake of the of Poseidon Adventure. Yes, but oh no, 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 no worry, we'll get to that I, one. We'll get to that one. But but, but I'm gonna, I, 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 I haven't seen Earthquake. Have you guys? You, you, Earthquake? No, I haven't seen that. It's like a big um, Hollywood, like the the I think the the poster is like the Hollywood sign font, but it's like Earthquake, and it's like. Oh wow! Yeah, studded Charlton cast. Heston. Yeah, yeah, all bunch of people. All A-list this looks cast. impressive. Yeah, this looks impressive. This is like these um, are these are movies that like a certain individual that we'll talk about soon, Roland Emmerich. Oh. He's very influenced. <laughs> he's very influenced by this genre or these set of movies from the nineteen seventies. But I haven't, well, yeah, I haven't, of... I haven't seen any of these earthquake movies. But the two earthquake movies that I'll bring up that if you guys have seen or not. Have you guys seen this 2004 TV movie on NBC called 10.5? No, I haven't. No. Okay. No, I don't even know what that is. I will not waste your time with it, but basically... The titles? It's, it, it, but but, but I, I will say that it is edited exactly like an episode of 24. Oh, wow. Where there's like a split... There's like split screens of like people talking point of view. It's all handheld. There's a lot of snap zooms on, you know, unnecessary snap zooms on like all the drama. It's like, oh my God. Because the the whole thing is just like the the Los Angeles or the California fault line is faulty and there's just earthquakes and it's just a human drama. I think it's like a four-part TV movie where it was like a super long thing, but I remember just thinking like, oh, okay, this has all the tropes I love just Uh, in like an episodic sort of facade. I just want to, speaking of the San Andreas fault line, in 2015 the disaster, okay, so the disaster genre kind of died for a (laughs) number of years, but The Rock tried to bring it back in the last decade with San Andreas I gotta be honest. Um, that's the other one. Yes, yes. That's that's the other one I wanted to bring has up. Anyone San Andreas. Seen San Andreas. Yes. yes yeah. Oh, um, I, I the first time I ever I, I knew about. Oh, wait, 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 Michael, Michael. Hey, Michael Matters, Mr. Mead. Oh, has Michael seen it? <laughs> Michael, have you seen it? San Andreas. This is yes. Uh, circa 2015, I was watching like tons of movies because as part of this like screening kind of subscription series. And so I definitely have seen it, but it's a blur. <laughs> um, I, yes, I can picture elements of it, and I can I can picture a few key scenes and stuff, but uh, uh, I'm not sure how much of it I'll actually remember. Uh, and maybe when we get into um, it, I will. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I ha- long answer. I I have read it. Now I had the. Uh, not read it, the seen thought, it. <laughs> the thought I had was um, I read the I read the movie not yeah. lately. The, the thought I, I, I had of this movie was um, <laughs> ironically, um, I flew the year this movie came out. I flew to L.A. on a vacation with my friend, and um, it was one of the movies available on my flight. And I the per the person sitting in front in front of me was watching it and. I didn't watch it. I, the movies I watched were Foxcatcher and Fast and the Furious and and whatever whatever Fast and the Furious movie was new at the time. I can't remember which one quite honestly, but I watched Foxcatcher followed by whatever Fast and the Furious movie was out at the time. I think it was no nice. it was that's a that's that that's a that's a good variety. I've been watching an indie and a blockbuster. Now, I like that. But on my on <laughs> on, on my first ever trip to LA, but I didn't I, I saw San Andreas, I'm like, I'm about to fly to LA. I'd rather not watch a movie about LA getting destroyed before I go there. 
<laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, tonight's tonight's movie selection on our airlines are films like Alive, United ninety three, <laughs> United ninety three, and Nonstop, Snakes on a pl- Flight, Flight Plan, Snakes on a Snakes Plane. On a plane. <laughs> Can you? That would be funny if, like, just, just put your put all your passengers in a state of anxiety, like ah, in this movie. Yeah. And then uh, one guy yes. gets. San, San, I I I remember watching San Andreas and thinking, oh my god, like all oh, the tropes are so alive. Like the Rock, not so hot of a father, and he's part of a rescue team, and oh my ex-wife yeah. and daughter are in los angeles i gotta go save them <laughs> while everything is crumbling it's it's gr- yeah. really good special effects i remember it being like very well done i just remember kind of being expendable yeah as a as a movie i do remember paul giamatti being in it that's right he was and uh yeah oh, yeah yeah He's like a seismologist or something like that. <laughs> but I just I just remember seeing him and thinking, uh, he I just remember he I don't know how to describe it other than he was just Paul Giamattiing it up. He, I was just like, Yeah, that guy's having fun doing this role. I <laughs> am the rhino. Yeah. He's isn't he literally the guy yeah. who explains how the earthquake will happen? He literally says, The earth yeah. will literally yeah. crack. That that trailer line. I exposition i remember i remember him having some really really feisty exposition moment that's that seemed like he was chewing on the scenery and it was kind of fun yeah if you find that scene send it to send it to us that'd be funny yeah yeah Um, i will yeah yeah it seems like los angeles or california is sort of like the hot spot to center around center center around earthquake movies There's really not anywhere else. Yeah. Foreign filmmakers, are there no other fault lines in the world that you can make earthquake movies about? Like, why is it always California? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It's it's, it's strange. Well, that, that this category doesn't really shake my world. <laughs> <laughs> I can make puns too, goddammit, <laughs> even if they don't land. <laughs> All right, the next category. I'm talking yeah. some tsunamis or tidal waves or hurricanes. Just I I, I need some big okay. water. I need some lots. Water. I need lots of water. I need um, lots of lots of water. I love it. I have well. Big remember water. how I talked about uh, cool. Poseidon? Like not Poseidon Adventure. Poseidon, the remake from yeah. 2000, I believe seven or 2006. 2006. Yeah. 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 I remember it starred Kurt Russell, Emmy Rosen, who was in another disaster movie that might co- that will probably come up tonight. Um and I just remember Kurt Russell's character make it, the the all the tropes are there. Like it's basically every trope on this glamorous ocean liner that capsizes after a tsunami hits it. Actually, it's funny. I want to bring up two films simultaneously because they're both by the same director, actually, Wolfgang Peterson. Wolfgang Peterson. Uh, I want to. Yeah. I want to bring. I want to bring up the Perfect Storm and Poseidon at the same time. Oh no! Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't. I, I don't yeah. know what happened to this man. He did a lot of great films in the eighties and nineties, like Das Boot and the, the Never Ending Story, In the Line of Fire, Air Outbreak. Force One, like 
Air Force One, just to name a few. And yeah, Outbreak is. Yeah. I I don't know what the fuck. I th- I know I know exactly what happened to this man. He saw a Titanic and said, "I need to do that every time," <laughs> because the perfect storm is just. It's not as a cynical. It's not as cynical as like say Pearl Harbor. Speaking of Michael Bay, where it's like. Pearl Harbor is clearly trying to ape off of the success of Titanic of being like uh, a disaster, yeah. but like there's a romance surrounding a tra- it. Around a, tra- it. a tragedy that is the backdrop to a personal drama. Yes, thank you. Um, Perfect Storm is kind of in the same vein, but it, it is also something based on a true story of like the Andrew Gale sh- uh, boat that went off into the Atlantic and at the same time there were three different hurricanes all colliding and that boat tragically got in the center of all of it. But Mm -hmm. the movie is so melodramatic and it's so like, I think our, our uh, movie character Jack Sparrow said it best is that, well, if there are no, any survivors, then where do the stories come from? (laughs) That's a great, that was a great line. (laughs) Cause cause really, really where, where does this movie, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but sorry, but like, they don't survive. So it's like, where where does all the stuff that happens on the boat come from? And even the stuff that does happen, it just feels so overbearing. Like, even James Horner scored the film, which he does do a good job scoring it, nice. but it does feel like it's trying to be very, like, you know, like, Titanic. Like, there needs to be, like, this big score to it, but it's all so melodramatic, and everybody's just trying to, like, make it, like, this big thing, like... There's literally a line that um, Mary Elizabeth, um, or no, what's her name? I forget. I'm forgetting her name. She's from uh, the Abyss, the the main woman from mm. the Abyss. I can't remember her name. She's literally screaming to uh, to George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg through the intercom. You're headed right for the middle of the monster, like verbatim. I think she I says remember that, that scene. <laughs> I don't. Rem- I've only seen this movie once a long time ago, and I barely remember it, but. Have you seen this, Michael? Sorry. Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah, it's... Um, I don't know. It's melodramatic to me. What's interesting about that movie is um, it was not his first role by any means, but I heard an interview with George Clooney himself where he was like, that was the movie, the first movie where people thought of me as a star. Really? Which is crazy. Because he said that he, said that he had just finished a, a contract working on ER... And he was terrified that they would not let him make the leap from TV to movies. Mm. He's like, and he's, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou had just come out. And it, it's got a following now, but it was not a success at the time. And, and he was like, okay, this movie flopped. I just finished. I, I, I have not succeeded in my transition from TV to film. And then The Perfect Storm came out, and it was a commercial success. Maybe not a critical one, but it was a commercial success. And he was like, okay, well, that <laughs> essentially saved my bacon. I can I can make movies That's, now. I, I didn't so, know that. <laughs> uh, now, did, I have yeah. two questions for you, Michael. The first one, it regards, yeah. oh, brother, where art thou? This is a little did you know. Did you know, Michael, that uh, the soundtrack from Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou it was more commercially successful than the actual movie? I, f- I feel like I've yeah. heard that. I am um, also, I am glad that you Not only that, that uh, <laughs> did Oh yeah. Brother, did The Perfect Storm predate Batman and Robin? Because he was in that. Uh, Bat- Batman and Robin was 97, <laughs> but 
uh, funny enough, uh, the Perfect Storm was two thousand. Oh, so that makes sense. Yeah, like oh, wow. George Clooney's like career of like being a movie star in films didn't really start off on the best track. But there were some movies that I actually yeah. funny enough him and Mark Wahlberg and Ice Cube were in Three Kings. Three uh, Kings. Yeah, yeah. That was the year before ninety nine or something. Yeah, yeah, ninety nine. So there, there, there's some movies that were. Oh, also another one, a personal favorite of mine, Out of Sight. Yeah. Uh, out of sight yeah steven soderbergh him I, and j-lo oh that's a uh, george clooney and j-lo that's a great movie really yeah. underrated gem yeah yeah i think the perfect storm and oh brother where art thou like what he was kind of saying in that interview was they were the first movies he was making without the safety net of like having a tv show yeah that he could go back to so it was really as like a a test of his star power and uh yeah, I mean, he doesn't. He, he, to, to his credit, he, he does, seems he, to be doing okay. He, he does a well, yeah, he definitely, yeah. He's <laughs> he's a movie star now. He he does a fine yeah. job in the film. I think everybody does a fine job of what they're given. It just all comes off so yeah. kind of over the top and kind of cheesy. And that's the thing about Wolfgang right. Peterson is that that kind of carries out to Poseidon, where yep, it's the mm-hmm. same. It's the same kind of concept as the original, the Poseidon adventure, where a tidal wave hits a cruise ship and it capsizes, and oh. it's all the survivors trying to get out. I I'm trying to remember this one line that made me burst out laughing from how poorly written it was. It was Kurt Russell saying like something along the lines yeah. of like, "It's a pressure valve. It explodes if there's a lot of pressure," <laughs> or something like that. Like it, it was just like it was like uh, uh, duh, duh. Like uh, if you look in the dictionary in redundant, does it say redundant? <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, it's it's another kind of cheese fest, and and the special effects are not really that. It feels very special effect driven too, right? Like not a lot of substance in in Poseidon at all, and it's kind of boring. It's very boring, and he hasn't made a film since Wolfgang Peterson. Wow, I completely forgot that. Have you seen? I completely forgot that Wolfgang Peterson uh, directed uh, Poseidon. Yeah, you were saying Michael. Have you seen the Poseidon Adventure? Have you seen the original? Because I was hoping to touch on that a you little bit. I haven't actually, I and haven't that's seen. what I mean. I am a fraud, okay, cool. so I want you to take away, please. I need <laughs> okay. some some sort of legitimacy um, to this natural disaster podcast, and yet sure. I haven't seen the originals. So I actually, I just watched it like quite recently um, in preparation for what we're doing. Because ah. I noticed it was on Disney. I noticed it was on Disney Plus. Oh, okay. And the the Poseidon Adventure really really engaged me i really liked it i thought and i think it serves it's from 72 so it's like almost 50 years old at this point i think it really does serve as like the template for like tons of disaster movies that came after it there's like so many kind of recognizable sort of stock characters in this movie there's like (laughs) the precocious little kid who has like the plan and then there's like there's, like, all these, like, dueling, like, deckhands and, like, captains with, like, kind of different agendas. And there's, like, the kind of bullheaded protagonist and stuff like that. And, like, it is actually just a really fun movie. And one thing that's kind of a really funny standout about the movie is uh, Leslie Nielsen is in it. <laughs> what? And it's, it's, well, here's the thing. It's eight years before Airplane came out. 
So he's not playing it comedically. Like he's playing it like totally straight. Yep. He's like Yeah, he's do- he's do- he's done that actually in the 1950s he was in uh Forbidden Planet yeah. where he plays it completely straight. It's like a science fiction yeah. from the 50s. He plays it 100% straight. Yeah. yeah. So he's he's literally just there as like a crew guy and I'm observing him for like a few minutes and I'm like, "Oh, he's not He's not making any jokes. He's just, like, he's just, it's just him. There's no deadpan stupidity. Oh, I th- damn it. I, th- I think he was, I think I've heard before that he was hired for airplane kind of on the strength of his delivery as a straight man. Yeah. So, so, but the Poseidon adventure is worth checking out. Um, you know, how sometimes like movies from another era that, that I feel like acting has evolved a lot since then yeah like a lot of old kind of movie stars kind of speak with that like that kind of like radio kind of voice where like like they just deliver their lines in like a very kind of like like kind of like well well where do you get off talking to me like that like that kind of weird sort of like kind of speedy (laughs) yeah yeah so all a lot of the dialogue is delivered like that (laughs) but which might seem weird kind of painted onto like a disaster movie today but um, it's like a thoroughly engaging movie. I really liked it, and I can see how the success of something like that might have like helped propel a genre. Um, That's what I expected. And there's to be, yeah, yeah. There's one like I don't know if you'd say it's ahead of its time or what, but there's one like really kind of poignant moment where they're like rescuing people off the boat, and this woman is like like she doesn't want to be rescued she's like she wants to die she's like no no leave me here leave me here and it's like it's pretty it's a pretty like emotional moment because gene hackman is trying to convince her like no like uh you have something to live for and she's like well what do i have to live for and he's like life that's what you have to live for life is up there life is beautiful and it's like it might wow. sound a little melodramatic when i say it like that but it is actually a quite a beautiful moment oh wow okay and um so, like, I really liked the movie. Um, nice. I I do recommend that. Does <laughs> d- does Fergie make a cameo in it and dies? Because that's what happens in Poseidon the remake. I didn't, okay. I don't Fergie remember, makes a cameo and dies. I don't remember a thing about the <laughs> yeah. Poseidon remake clearly because I don't remember. Well, I've, well, now now that I've seen this this movie, like, I don't feel compelled to ever see a remake of it. Like, I, I should have just, just like, I should just watch these. I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. I'm so, I, I think maybe they, they just weren't as available before streaming really. Like it, it just probably, yeah, it was probably. All right. Well, there are two other films that are in this category of tidal wave tsunami films that I want to bring your attention <clears throat> to. There are two, they're actually two independent films. You guys have probably seen one of them. Uh, have you seen either The Impossible or The Wave? I've seen neither of them, but I do know. Yeah. Michael, you're going to love me for this. Uh, the Impossible is what gave Tom Holland his movie career. Correct me if I'm wrong, right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, he's the, the kid. The Russell in that movie. brothers saw, yeah. saw The Impossible and they said, That's Spider Man. <laughs> I. I believe that the director of that movie has gone on to direct some pretty big. Yes, J. Borgia went on to do like the Orphanage, uh, A Monster Calls, and Jurassic World: Fallen (laughs) Kingdom. Now, The Impossible is based on a true. It's based on a disaster that really happened. Yes, yes, yeah, the Haiti. It's the Haiti uh, disaster. Correct me if I'm wrong. Oh right. 
Is it? Is it actually? I don't know. I don't, don't want to. Is it the Haiti disaster, but... or is it the disaster, or is it that tsunami in the Philippines? Oh, the Indian Ocean tsunami. I stand corrected. Haiti is in the Carib- <laughs> Haiti is in the Caribbean. Okay. No, no. The impossible actually, it is one hundred percent like a human drama, and it it. It it, mm-hmm. it it does follow more of like the aftermath in the film of like the tragedy, and you follow you McGregor and Naomi Watts and them trying to find their kids in the aftermath. Very very well done. I wouldn't say it's like a spectacle, you know, eat popcorn, you know, watch a kind of dumb movie. It's not like that at all. But it's it's definitely an honorable mentioning. And and same can be said about the wave. It's a Norwegian film from 2015 where same kind of idea where there's but there's a lot of like build up in this movie of like they know that like this dam is about to burst and the 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 water pressure around this this little small town surrounded by this dam it's gonna burst any moment and there's all these warning signs and there's always there's they're kind of shrugging it off saying like ah it's okay you know it'll be fine but once it happens because of that build up there's a lot of like really impactful moments and it does follow like the the aftermath a lot and it's it's very well done actually it's um i'd say those are the two films that they're not like i said i don't want to repeat myself they're not about the spectacle they're more about the human drama but they're they're just worth mentioning since they're in the same category as like a a natural disaster film but they're not as tropey as the ones we'll be talking about more Mm -hmm. All right, well, that, I guess that closes off the Category 4. Now, let's just jump into Category 5, and let's just shoot the shit about other shit that we haven't even mentioned yet. So, Michael, have you got a movie for us that I'll be the judge on whether or not it's a natural disaster film? <laughs> sure. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen this. I didn't even know this was a movie until this week, but I just discovered a movie in my research called Firestorm. 1998 oh okay the only thing i know about this film okay the only thing i know about this film is that 20th century fox was banking on this film at the time more than titanic (laughs) to make a success oh wow and fire and firestorm came out a month after titanic's release so this so titanic was 97 firestorm was 98 in january Fuck you, it's January. Okay. Eh, Red Letter Media. Uh, and this movie made zip in the box office. <laughs> it didn't make any money at all. In fact, I think yeah. I think actually James Cameron was actually the one, like, I think because his wife is in Titanic. Zoe, uh, Susie Amos, I think that's her name. She plays uh, mm-hmm. Rose's granddaughter in the future. She's in the film as well. Right. And okay. I think because she stumbled on the set of Titanic, that's how she got the <clears throat> job to be in this movie. And I've seen the trailer. It has the funniest poster I've ever seen, and I'm going to show it on the screen yeah. here because it, it, yeah. the guy has the most dumbfounded, dumb expression on his face. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. What so, it, all I know is that it's a forest fire film. That's all I know. To me, this was like what not to do when creating one of these disaster movies. Because I told you before that I really like. You know, when a cast is strong in a movie and what's kind of a funny pattern or sort of similarity with disaster movies is they don't need a human villain. They don't like survival 
survival is the obstacle, right? Oh. And it's kind of, you know, sometimes there's people who have clashing ideologies or how, or plans or yeah. how to survive or whatever. You do not need someone intentionally causing problems, and that's what this movie decides to I'm do. I'm going to be talking about that they, aspect more in other films I'll bring up, but oh, carry on. Okay, cool. Yeah. But this movie, this movie literally just inserts a human villain kind of kind of as a twist in the third act oh, no. and they give him some they give him some of the most ridiculously overwritten lines of dialogue but okay spoiler for a 23 year old movie that no one's just seen, spoil but, um, it i don't care. <laughs> just do it go for it there's, there's a part there's a part where the, the kind of quote-unquote bad guy of the movie is locking people in the room and they say to him like what are you doing what are you doing you son of a bitch what are you doing and he just turns around. You can practically see his mustache twirling, but he's like, "I'm killing you!" What? <laughs> it's just—it's <laughs> just so such a weird melodramatic choice. And there's so many. I'm actually surprised that this movie is not more like kind of memed or like made fun of in the public consciousness because there's so many lines of dialogue in this movie that are just way overwritten, and it's hysterical to watch. I I recommend you guys watch this just to have fun with it. Just you know, have a few drinks and make fun okay. of it. But it is like such a it is such a ridiculous movie, and the movie's supposed to be about fire. And there's like a huge disarmingly long chunk in the movie where they just forget about the fires. And there's just like stupid shit in it, like a motorcycle chase and like a fist fight. And I'm like watching it so and i'm like it seems like this film this, this film this, <laughs> it seems like this film is trying to be an, a disaster film but it keeps trying to steer away and just make it just a normal action film yeah which uh, i thought was a very strange choice and there was a couple minutes where i was because i'm watching it on my computer and something popped up on the screen and i was just like replying to emails and shit i fully forgot this movie was on in the background like it was that <laughs> <laughs> it was that uninteresting and then i and then I zeroed back in and I started listening to the dialogue and stuff again. And I'm like, this is, this is not how you do this. You, uh, yeah, you didn't, didn't need it. This genre didn't need this movie. Yeah. <laughs> this movie had but, a, ni- this movie but had it a was... $19 million budget and it only made back $8 million. Oh, there was something on the IMDb page. I'm not sure if it's just me, but it made me laugh. Um, Howie Long is the name of the actor in this movie. For some reason, in the trivia section of this movie, I'm just going to read this verbatim. <laughs> the film premiered in U.S. theaters on January 9th, 1998. Yep. Three days, three days after Howie Long's 38th birthday. To me, an adult man's birthday being three days <laughs> apart from the release of a movie is not a special piece of trivia that needs to be included. Wow. <laughs> so there's like, is there so so that basically there's nothing special about this film whatsoever. <laughs> you can, they could think of so few things to say about this movie. <laughs> oh my wow. god. No, I, I all I know I just know about it. I I haven't seen it. I don't want to see it because it looks kind of trashy and stupid. Yeah. It's fair if you don't want to see it. I'm not. I'd never force anyone to see this. You might get a laugh out of it, though. That's all I'm saying to well, uh, us and the, the viewers. Speaking of 
shoehorned in <laughs> villains. I'll I'll give it to you in a second, Evan. But I do know Evan that you've seen this film. But speaking of villains, that there should not be man versus man in a man versus nature movie. Have you guys uh, actually, Michael? Have you seen Vertical Limit? Um, this sounds so familiar. Yeah. So it's Chris O'Donnell, the guy who played Robin in the Schumacher Batman movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, Bill Paxton's in it. Bill Paxton plays the one-dimensional villain. And okay. uh, the whole thing is that like there's an av- they're all mountain climbers and uh, Robin yeah. I think Robin Robin Tooney I think that's her name she was in the craft um, I think that's her name so, correct me if I'm wrong Robin something uh, she's the sister of 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 um of uh, Chris O'Donnell. Her and a team of other people and Bill Paxton go up into the mountain, and then there's an avalanche, and they all get trapped within the gorge. And yeah. Chris O'Donnell and also uh, Scott Glenn, who plays like a native guy in the movie, and he, they all try to go rescue this team that's buried in the snow. Tam- and Tamir, the whole time, Tamir Morrison's yep. in it too, who plays uh, Boba Fett in The Mandalorian and Jangle yep, and yep, Jangle Fett in it, and- Attack of the Clones, respectively. And also Mads Mikkelsen is in it too. I, oh, I forgot about ben, that. Sorry, ben, oh wow. No, 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 no. Sorry, not Mads Mikkelsen. Sorry, uh, Ben Mendelsohn. Sorry, I had Rogue One in my brain oh. and I was getting the two actors oh. mixed up. Yeah, Ben Mendelsohn is in it too. Um, uh, oh, cool. Yeah, the whole time you're thinking, okay, Bill Paxton is clearly like the rich climber that he he came back from, like you know, a, a previous climbing uh experience that didn't go well where he was the only survivor and he killed the wife of scott the scott glenn's wife on this previous travel by using this like like insulin or not insulin it's like almost like a like a it's like a vaccine shot where like you can survive like hypothermia up there he he took it all for himself because he's the rich evil man and he's gonna do it all over again in this in this new and in this this other tragedy and that's the problem with the film is that there's only a few avalanches in the film and they're pretty well done. Like the film is actually directed by Michael, uh, Martin Campbell who did uh golden eye and casino Royale. Seriously. Wow. So yeah, two, two of like one of the best bond films and yeah, there's, there's some pretty good action scenes in the film. There's some solid acting actually to, to credit to where credit is due. There's some pretty effective moments in the film, but that Bill Paxton stuff is just so it's so focused yeah. on sometime in the film, and there's a lot of like I don't know. It, it, there's one part where like actually when the storm when they were climbing up and the storm was starting to get a little heavy that they're all like we need to go back. I'm turning back. Goodbye, Bill Paxton. And little Bill Paxton turns into the camera, and in this like tight awkward close up, and he's wearing like like a visor gl- glasses. He's like fuck you and then just cuts to the next shot <laughs> it's so funny it's so funny uh, the yeah. only what what did you think about this one evan i've only seen it once a long time ago i remember there's a scene where they get up so high that they that they they help they chop her up to a part of the mountain and by the way just for the sake of uh, trivia the mountain they're climbing is k2 one of the deadliest mountains in the himalayas like there's true. there's yeah, Mount yeah. Everest yep. and then there's Mount K2, which apparently has a reputation for killing a lot of the climbers that try to conquer it. So 
there's a scene where the mm-hmm. helicopter is actually losing its ability to stay aloft because they're so high up and the, the thinner the air gets, the harder it is for the chopper to stay stable. And there's also a storm and there's like one scene where like one of the women is like getting like dangerously close to the rotor blades getting chopped to stretch. She almost breaks her finger. And then there's a scene where I think Chris O'Donnell is like talking to her and like her fingers broken and they're like making small talk. And then he snaps the finger back into place and she's like, yeah. Yeah. The whole scene was kind of like a, (laughs) kind of like, okay, I'll, I'll adjust it on, on three, one. And then crack, you crack on one. It was kind of like that kind of scene where, just kind of distra- yeah. just kind of distract her while you do this little adjustment to her finger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, there, there, yeah, there, there are. Yeah, there's a lot of effective moments in the film, but it's it's just kind of cheesy in a lot of mo- like there, there's so much cheese with Bill Paxton. I just I hate that subplot in the film. It, it's it's I, I'm I'm watching it going like with a couple little tweaks, you can kind of fix his character where you can scrap all that like. Oh, history is repeating itself. He's just trying to take all of the medicine for himself. If he was just like a very panicked person and he's trapped and he's just trying to like show some humanity at first, but then it's just the idea that like I'm going to I'm going to suffocate down here. I'm going to die of hypothermia and it just changes his ways. Like I I can buy that, but the fact that like he's always been like set up to be like this asshole rich guy that's just going to take everything for himself is just so Hollywood and such just tacked on bullshit. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's okay. It's watchable. Despite what I said. Uh, what do you have, Evan? What do you, what, okay. do you have a movie? Evan? I do. Yeah. Um, we didn't talk about Roland Emmerich enough. There are two movies that I hope we talk about. Well, actually, how about we save those two for last? Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I feel like those are the juggernauts. How about we save those two for last? Do you, do you have any other ones? Other disaster <laughs> movies. Hmm. Let me think about this for a second. Uh, if you can't think of one, I have one that I know you and I have talked about in the past. Oh, which one is that? Uh, let's talk about The Core. Hey, Mom, can we watch Armageddon? We have Armageddon at home. Armageddon at home. The core. <laughs> it's the core. Yes. Oh, my God. The core. You know what, Michael? I, wait, have you seen the core, Michael? I don't think I have. I remember it coming out, and I sort of know what it is, but I don't think I've ever seen it. Okay. See, I knowing that you, and actually, you know, both of you, Evan and Michael, you guys are both fans of the MCU. The core kind of has a sort of a preemptive formula that the MCU has where it's like it's taking itself seriously, but there's a lot of humor in it. The problem is with the core is that like the the humor doesn't quite land, but you'll probably get a kick out of it of trying of them trying to make it land. Um, it feels like the people who made the core watched Armageddon a few times too many and were like, you know what? Let's try to make an Armageddon-like disaster movie where we'll have the jokes, we'll have the humor, we'll have a cast. Except uh, we'll try the we'll take it even more seriously than Armageddon did because the problem with the core is that the disaster is too serious. Like Armageddon is a ridiculous yeah. scenario where an asteroid is coming to destroy the Earth. The core of the Earth stops spinning. Mm. What's funny about that? What's what's ludicrous about that? The core stopping spinning is actually something that could potentially happen. 
and I mean it's unlikely, but it could still happen. And there's even one scene where they're explaining where Stanley Tucci is like the big intellectual genius that they bring on the journey to explain how the cores deteriorating, how the cores not spinning will destroy the Earth. They basically said that there is an the Earth has an electromagnetic field that the that the cores rotation keeps intact. Now that the core stops spinning, that field is going to collapse. And he basically uses like a piece of fruit with a flamethrower to prove the point of what will happen to the planet once <laughs> that field collapses. And there is not a trace of a joke. It, it It's a funny scene, but he's not joking. Like he's being serious. It's like, um, yeah, yeah. That's that. That's what I mean. That's like the, the seriousness is kind of like blanketing itself over the humor. And then sometimes the humor is in places where it shouldn't be funny. It's a very it's a very strange tone. This film like it's it's it is a guilty pleasure of mine. I watch you this know like what? every now and then. <laughs> Do you remember the scene where um, they get Hillary Swank and Bruce Greenwood who are astronauts because they have to, the, the object. The, how are they? How, so you're thinking. How the fuck are they going to, if the core of the earth stops spinning, how are they going to get to start again? Well, they have a solution. They're going to invent an, a spaceship that can go underground. No, I'm not kidding about this. They invent a spaceship that goes underground and they get at NASA astronauts to pilot this ship after, <laughs> but only after two of them are responsible for crashing the space shuttle. Look, I, I, by the way, that, yeah, in of, yeah. that, that in of itself is a, they're trying to prove a point that, you know, the reason why they almost crashed the space shuttle is because um, with the Earth's magnetic field being screwed up, it actually causes their coordinates to be miscalculated when they're reentering the atmosphere. And they almost crashed the shuttle into downtown Los Angeles. And there's a scene where, like, Bruce Greenwood is like, uh... Commander, those buildings are getting pretty close. And then they 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 get an an emergency maneuver, and then they land in the L.A. River. But before that, the the shuttle flies over Dodger Stadium, and everyone's like, "What the hell?" <laughs> like it, it's a bizarre scene. I, I I know I know Michael's probably like, "What the fuck is this movie?" I have no idea. <laughs> like we're, yeah. one minute we're in space, and then we're in the world. So also, it's a lot to digest. It's a lot to digest, but it's basically they need to go to the center of the Earth to restart the rotation of the planet's core, and they have to get there in a ship that can withstand the pressure and the heat of down there. And do you want to know the name of the substance? of the type of rock that they need to like shell themselves in this ship on obtainium that James Cameron, <laughs> James Cameron, take a few notes. <laughs> yeah. Cause that's the fucking, Wait, that's the fucking sub. That's the fucking rock that they were trying to like possess an avatar the humans. Yeah. I was, when you asked me to guess, I was literally going to crack that joke. Is that actually what it's called? In the <laughs> no, movie? it's called it Unobtainium. It's true. It's called Unobtainium. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's called. I remember my mom picked up on that when she saw Avatar because her and I watched. We saw the the core in the yeah. theater years ago, and we've seen it now and then yeah. on TV. And when she saw Avatar, she's like, "Wait a minute, Unobtainium? That's the core." That's funny. <laughs> does that have any like? I know that that's been like memed over the years, but does that have any actual like relevance to real science? Is that like a real thing? I don't know. I actually. think it's I a. Think so. it, it's like a no unobtainium. I think, it's either a literary like device that writers use 
when mm. they can't think of a, something to name their substance. But unobtainium, I think, is like a, I don't quote me on this, but I yeah. think unobtainium is like a scientific term for like a mystery element. Like if there's an element that hasn't been discovered yet, then they just the, the scientific board just calls it unobtainium until they can figure out a name, an actual oh, okay. name for it. <laughs> there's That's a scene. Fair. There's a scene in this movie that just makes me laugh in terms of like how you do a setup and a payoff in terms of a character because all they literally do within the one scene to the next is do the setup and then the payoff where you establish there's there's one guy on the team who's like the friend of Aaron Eckhart who's like the main character of the movie his sure. friend is like a french guy forgetting his name and the actor's name i remember he was the villain in the first bad boys he was like saying oh, oh yeah, you yeah. know to come down here like a picture he's like to come down here to save six seven billion people that's nothing to me i'm just trying to save my wife and my three my three children or my two children i just want to know if i'm smart enough to be down here to to save three people and then the next scene spoilers sorry he dies because one of the compartments on the ship uh, gets penetrated by some crystal and then he gets trapped in there and then they had to like separate that compartment because like one compart one damage compartment can th- like damage the whole ship so they had to make a sacrifice. Hillary Swank actually had to make that call and not you know open the mm-hmm. doors and save him so she had to sa- sacrifice him which really pissed off Aaron Eckhart and he like he comic it it's so over the top him lashing out to her saying like I was two inches from him and you didn't open the door. Like just picture him as Harvey Dent times 11 like turn up to 11 of him just screaming the silent just times 10 i'm not kidding it's him it's embarrassing how over the top he is in this scene just chewing her out and he's like i don't care what you say she's like he died so he could we could save our mission he's like oh yeah the mission of saving the world right he's like not the whole world just the three of them and then he just (laughs) he stays quiet and then he walks away and i'm like we just had a scene with that. It's like, why don't you let that like linger with us a bit? Yeah. It's almost like they had it, like had that scene kill him off, and then have the 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 like the death scene and have that payoff, and then that's it. Like, and then they moved on. Literally, the next scene, they forgive each other. Yeah, like that's it. That's it. <laughs> okay. Now it, it, it's it's a scene. It's a scene in this movie that really stands out to me in terms of writing. That it just bothers me. Uh, there is one thing that um. Uh, there's one, like, okay, so one of the things that, you know, the reason why Hollywood got into a trend of disaster movies in the 90s and early and mid-2000s was because they were looking to scare audiences with, like, disastrous scenes. Like, scenes where you have, uh, in Armageddon, like, you have scenes where New York gets, you know, bombarded by asteroids and you got people screaming and famous landmarks being destroyed all over the place. Well, in... Uh, you're probably thinking, if the core is this type of movie, what kind of scenes can we get out of such a, a weird movie? You'd be surprised. There's a scene where, um, because the Earth's electromagnetic field is collapsing, that means we have crazy lightning storms that can destroy, like, that can destroy things. And, like, no, like, if lightning strikes, they'll actually, like, rip apart, like, sit buildings. And, case in point, they go to Rome. That scene was a little hokey, but the scene that actually made me feel like actually generally creeped out, there's a scene where they establish later in the movie, hey, oh, and by the way, because 
uh, the Earth's magnetic field is collapsing, that means holes in the ozone layer and lethal radiation from the sun can actually penetrate the Earth's magnetic field. And there's a hole right by San Francisco. And what happens is there's a scene where a deadly ray of sunlight um, actually passes over the Golden Gate Bridge and it's so hot that it boils the seawater and whale that seems it's a little cheesy to show whales just going belly up and you know flowing to the surface. But once it gets mm. to the Golden Gate Bridge, um the drivers are stopped in their cars and the heat is so hot it turns the tires to goo and it actually causes the Golden Gate Bridge to collapse because it's so hot. And then they cut away from that and they say oh they cut to a news report a second later san francisco is in ruins it's like i would have liked to have seen the rest of that disaster play out it was still terrifying to see like you know people like slowly melt it, their cars slowly melt and catch fire on the golden gate bridge but yeah the yeah the the effect the even the effects in this movie like in the one you just said evan like where rome like the coliseum gets hit by lightning the visual effects are not good and it ages it, it looks like a tv movie yeah. and it's it's like wow how the hell did it, like a major movie studio produce this and like it, it's there's even a there's even a uh a, a scene because it does remind me of Armageddon, where it's like no matter, like just pick a random spot in the world and just have a, and a, like some disaster happen. There's even like a bird scene where all the birds get all like crazy and confused. It's like clearly a Hitchcock reference, yeah. Where they're all just <laughs> flying and dying all over the place because of the rays. They're all confused with that. It, it it's a very weird jumble of um of uh, a variety of disastrous moments, but like. It's all centered around this mission to get to the the planet's core. The, the reason why and, the birds go crazy is because birds rely on electromagnetism to navigate. And with the Earth's electromagnetic field being screwed up, the birds lose their sense of navigation. And another clue that shows the core stops spinning is the movie opens with a random-ass fundraiser where everyone at this fundraiser has a pacemaker. And then you cut to something similar to... Oh God! Nah, I'll. It, it reminded me of a horrible movie that we have to talk about that qualifies as a disaster movie. But um, I'll, I'll, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, the scene where because uh pacemakers can get screwed up by electromagnetism, an electromagnetic pulse like you know shoots through like the this area in Boston where this fundraiser is that everyone has a pacemaker and a bunch of people just drop dead. And it's like, okay, why'd they die? Oh, they all had pacemakers. Well, how did they die with their pa how did their pacemakers short out? Oh, and there was an electromagnetic charge or something. So yeah, yeah, it's like Aaron, okay, Aaron Eckhart is literally just a high school teacher, and he just figures it out in like thirty seconds. Yeah, and he's and suddenly he's qualified <laughs> to go on the giant ship to save the world. That's like put. That's like that's like dragging an oil driller onto the space shuttle. <laughs> hey yeah, Evan you are so right you hit the nail you hit it right on the head of that like they, there's, there's literally a scene where they draw straws on who's gonna sacrifice themselves again but just like Armageddon the but the, there's a there's a key difference between that there's a key difference between Armageddon and the core you're probably wondering okay if a disaster like this was gonna happen and destroy the world how the heck could the media keep that a secret 
they get this random hacker dude to basically hack every news station and oh, internet yeah. site in the world to prevent media. Do you remember? Do, do you remember? Do you remember uh, DJ Quills, Michael? Oh yeah. Yeah, DJ Quills is in this movie. He plays like the hacker <laughs> guy. He's like a crazy computer whiz guy that literally like keeps the the whole like world suppressed of like the knowledge of like the fact that like the world might end in about a year. Like he's actually the most enjoyable part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm definitely gonna have to check this out just on, just on this recommendation. Yeah. Alone, you, I have, you to, have to, I, 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 I do recommend this to people. It's, it's, it's a, yeah. I mean, when you have a scene where like, this is the, the last point that I'll make about this movie, then we'll move on. Um, when you have a scene where they're collecting everybody around the world to help build the ship in three months, like millions of people, you got like, like, you know, the hacker guy, like their whole big plan, what they're going to say. Like when you announce this people to everybody, you don't want to end like you want to say up straight away. Here's the situation. No, 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 no. Aaron Eckhart sits down and he goes, wow, I feel like I won the Nobel prize. <laughs> and there's literally like a point in the movie where they're trying to be like, Oh, like no one laughs, but like, everybody doesn't laugh but that's the point but like why would you still have that joke in the movie it's that that's what i mean it's a very confused film but it's so fascinating another um and then at the end of the movie the hacker dude just leaks everything after the disaster is averted it's like hey did you know the world was going to end like a few months ago but we saved it (laughs) which kind of defeats the purpose of you know a leak but so his his stuff could have been written off as a dumb conspiracy theory but uh, but yeah so i think that's the joke though okay so um i so well wait before before we move on to mr emrick's two end of the world juggernauts do you guys have any uh other ones i thought of one up? the 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 pacemaker scene where a bunch of people just drop dead reminded me oh yeah yeah, yeah. what was the, of yeah. a god-awful i can we be the judge if this qualifies as a disaster film michael okay, what? Cody, i think there was a happening of some kind there was an event happening oh my god does it I don't know. <laughs> That's a great one to bring up. It's like an enigma of like, what the hell kind of disaster? It's like a... It's a nature disaster movie. Wow. The trees emit a pheromone that causes people to yeah. commit suicide. That if, that if Roland Emmerich directed this, we'd be saying, yeah... That's a disaster movie. But because it's M. Night Shyamalan, he has to make it about people and... You, but this is the thing. You can't see the disaster. You can see the results of the disaster. You can't see the disaster. You, you actually you know what you can. You see the trees blowing on yeah. people. Like what the hell? I don't know. Yeah, that's a strange one. Yeah. I can't. I can't. Yeah, that that's a hard call to me. Yeah, I don't know. It's. I mean, it's a very, it's a very bold choice. It. it I don't know. How about this? Can we save that for an M Night Shyamalan episode Fine. on the podcast? Okay. Yeah, yeah. How about because I like I oh I would love yeah. to talk about M Night Shyamalan. But, I got a lot of love hate yeah, relate. Yeah. I got a well, lot of love hate relationships with him. There's also so. another movie. Um, apparently, uh, he released a movie recently called Old, and that apparently has a disaster. No, no, that's a supernatural. Never mind. 
That's not a disaster movie. That's a uh, I, yeah. No, I, the happening... I would say I would say I would I would actually say more psychological because I, I I I've seen old. I just watched it like a couple of weeks ago. Oh, nice. Was it good? Uh, old? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> no, old is not good. But why don't we want to? But we'll save that. We'll save that for another topic. But uh, yeah. but Michael, do you have an, any ones or? Uh, nothing I can think of. I just recently watched one of the ones we're going to talk about next. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, I guess that takes yep. us to uh, both the day after tomorrow and 2012. Okay. I think it's very fitting to end <laughs> off this podcast with these two because, like, I, it, in terms of categories, oh my god, you got it all, yeah. gentlemen. Yeah. You got this guy that just has a fetish of fucking up this world. Okay, so aliens. <laughs> you got whether it's Independence Day or Godzilla or these two films. This guy just loves to get or off Stargate. and watching the world get. Yeah. <laughs> well, Stargate takes place on another like world, I guess, oh, yeah. but. Fucking fucking up this world, he just gets off on that. Yeah. Watching national landmarks, see he, he. I think Roland Emmerich might be the, the guy that's perfected modern day contemporary disaster films. I would say so. This guy, I think, I think Bob's big book of cliches <laughs> is a Bible. That's it sits it sits right next to him when he sleeps at night. He just digs up that book every night because his movies are so so cliched and so filled with tonal shifts where am i supposed to be laughing am i supposed to be on the edge of my seat am i supposed to be like feeling this intensity like he's trying to be like spielberg he's trying to be like you know have some commentary as well it's just it's so fucking fascinating uh, um, michael uh no so uh, uh roland emmerich to me is like you know michael bay's uh, less talented brother who is less trained, who doesn't use as much explosives, except his movies are somewhat smarter than Michael Bay's. I will say that. But can I can I can I tell you guys something? What? Can I tell you guys something? Um, so it's a, kind of a weird story. I, I I I hate to get off topic, but it's a, it's a cool story that you guys will like. So after Siskel and Ebert did their show, their long running show, and then it, the show became uh, Richard Roper and Ebert Roger and Roper Ebert centered. Ebert and Roper, and then after Roger Ebert had to leave because of, you know, health problems and all that, and they had to retire that, the show became At the Movies with A.O. Scott and Michael Phillips, these two other uh, critics. Mm -hmm. And they hosted this show occasionally on cable TV, but it was mostly online at the time. And I remember in 2009 when I was watching, like, a lot of Siskel and Ebert on their site, and it was also showing tons of... of, uh, at the movies with A.O. Scott and Michael Phillips, they always had this, like, Q&A, like, write to us and we'll, like, answer your question and all that. So at this time, when, like, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen and 2012 were kind of the hot of the town in 2009, I said, I'm going to ask them a question. I'm going to go, who do you think is the better director, Roland Emmerich or Michael Bay? And it was so cool. They actually, like, said, here's one, here's another question from Cody McDonald from Windsor, oh, Ontario. Nice. He said, who, who, like, who's a, despite their nasty, despite their nasty criticism, who's the, who's a better director, Roland Emmerich or Michael Bay? And one of them was like, wow, this sounds like a final exam question on a film study class. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and funny enough, it was actually split down the middle. One, I think it was A.O. Scott. He said he prefers Roland Emmerich and Michael Phillips says he prefers Michael Bay. Oh, wow. Huh. Um, Okay. Uh, A.O. Scott said because he seems like he's not taking himself as seriously as Michael Bay, 
And I think Michael Phillips just sort of liked the aesthetic of Michael Bay films, which I'm like, okay, they both have yeah. pretty fair points. Yeah. But if I had to compare, I would probably go with Rowan Emmerich because I don't find the indulgent, aggressive annoyance that Michael Bay puts in his movies a lot prevalent in Roland Emmerich films yeah. because with like with the day after tomorrow, let's go into the day after tomorrow. So it's his, it's his most sincere film in terms of him trying to express sort of like commentary about global warming. And apparently, and you know, this is obviously around the time where an inconvenient truth was the talk of the town. And like, I mean, even, even today, global warming is like, you know, Reality. Hello. I believe the po- I, be- I believe the politically correct term is climate change. C- global warming is outdated. <laughs> but I'm just kidding. Oh, get your get get your Simpsons referencing over at so to speak. What the fuck is yeah, this? Um, but yeah. So <laughs> no, no. But I, I I find that it's it's his most sincere of him trying to like say this could happen. But at the same time, you're wanting us to enjoy the disaster at the same time. So I'm like. What 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 are you trying to say with this film? Um, he's trying to okay. Yeah. Well, you want to talk about your your the tropes you highlighted? You've got the Dennis Quaid is an irresponsible father to Jake Gyllenhaal, which by the way, uh, Dennis Quaid does not. Jake Gyllenhaal is supposed to play a seventeen year old. He is not. He like looks seven, like they're ten. They 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 look like they're ten years apart from each other. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I do not buy that Jake Gyllenhaal and Emmy Rossum are seventeen. I don't. Um, another thing. Um, oh, by the way, so they have the whole. They have this. They have the uh, irresponsible dad trope. They have the. Um, he's a maverick in his career trope, where no one believes his crazy <laughs> theories except he has tons of credibility, and still no one believes him. They also have an artificial villain where the vice president of the United States ignores all his evacuation recommendations, and then half of the United States gets trapped in a global superstorm that. Hey, did- Hey, did 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 you notice that the vice president suspiciously resembles Dick Cheney? Yeah. By the way, he, uh, he's, uh, he's played some. <laughs> Most of the day after tomorrow was actually filmed in Montreal, and uh, the vice president. Oh, is that is, right? Yeah, the vice president is played yeah. by a Canadian documentarian named Kenneth Walsh. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Actually, fun fun fact. Um, I was going to bring this up in the chat, anyways. According to IMDb, The Day After Tomorrow is the highest grossing movie to ever be shot on Canadian soil. Whoa. That's pretty cool. (laughs) You think it would be like one of the X-Men movies because those were shot in Montreal too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that much is true. I don't know if anything has passed it in the years since, but uh, that, that was an IMDb when I saw this. When I check this out, as that a, statistic as a, might be outdated um, when you ingest for inflation. But anyway, so back to the movie. Um, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. All, yeah. So yeah, this movie, this this movie has it all. You got hail, you got tornadoes, you got <laughs> tsunamis, and then that freezes over to a an ice age blizzard. Like it has it all. Also, the, the I I think this movie. Okay, so I actually watched this movie when the COVID-19 pandemic was just, like, declared and everyone was told to stay home. Half this movie Mm -hmm. is about these people staying indoors because it it literally gets – the stakes literally become if you go outside, the superstorm could kill you. So – 
I kind of really had a deep relation to that with, you know, watching these kids stay inside and have their, their dad come to save them. Um, but uh, the other thing that uh, I really noticed was that say what you will about Roland Emmerich as a storyteller, but when you, he, he portrays like crowds panicking, um, he does it particularly well. Like, do you remember the scene where um, they're, where they're in the, when he shows like mass panic, like um, the scene where he shows the scene where like everyone who escaped the tidal wave is cuddled together in the library and there's a, ca the camera pans through the crowd and you hear people on the phone, like talking to relatives, like all over the country, like telling them what had happened that you really feel like they actually experienced that disaster. So credit where credit's due. Uh, this isn't, uh, this is related to Roland Emmerich, but not related to this movie. The scene in New York City in Independence Day when they all the New Yorkers see the alien ship for the first time and cars start crashing, people start running. Like, yeah, no, Roland Emmerich knows how to direct mass panic. So credit where credit's due. That is a good, yeah, no, that is a good point. He does, he does sort of woven woven in like uh, media and the way, like you know, like we, we like back then, like I know this is kind of more pre-internet before internet kind of like really became a sort of a, a necessity and a, a common thing of today but like we get all of our information from the news yeah. so that's why there's so many parts in like both like independence day and day after tomorrow yeah. where like it always cuts to like news footage of people just talking about like information and giving society yeah like that i, I like that's sort of like a nice touch to to his film one of the things that um you want to talk about some what well, well i was I, I i was gonna say like one really good positive thing about day after tomorrow is that i i do like the score in the film it's very good i, I do like I, I do like uh some cinema like the, this there's some shots in the film that look really nice like there's that really great money shot at the end where finally where dennis quaid and his friend make it to frozen new york and there's like that one kind of like wide shot pulling out and shows like the city all frozen in there yeah. and it's just showing like two people just walking like yeah i don't know there's there's a good score there's a good kind of like i think the the part that really was nice and effective because i did you guys see this film in the theater i didn't know i kind of no, wish i did i though. saw it, I didn't see it oh years. man I, I saw it though as a as a as an 11 year old seeing this movie on the theater oh there was parts where i was like on the edge of my seat that scene in la where the yeah. news anchor is just like right behind me there's a twister and then like the camera pans over and he gets like hit by that fucking sign yeah i like jumped out of my fucking seat i was just like holy shit yeah. i did not see that coming and then like i'm on the edge of my seat where like that janitor in that building is like in the other room and we're focusing we're focusing on this like this two ditzy couple that's making out and they look out yeah, the yeah. window and you don't you can tell the tornado's coming to them but it cuts to the janitor just in the hallway and the power goes out but it goes quiet yeah and like it just like he opens he opens the door and the yeah. whole half of the building is just gone yeah i just remember like that image and like it just shows the devastation afterwards it pulls out yeah. And like just the yeah. the kind of the music. I don't know. I just remember thinking like, whoa, that was a nice way to handle that. Actually, yeah. another uh, this doesn't have to do anything with the movie or the quality itself. But another interesting trivia factotum about this movie is it had the highest opening weekend of any. This is still true even with inflation. Highest opening weekend ever of any movie. To not premiere in the number one spot. Wow, wow, that's interesting. <laughs> interesting. 
So <laughs> it came out in 2004, which was a pretty big heavy year for movies. I think Shrek 2 was dominating yeah. the charts at the time. It, Shrek 2 yeah. would have been and number one I th- on this movie's opening weekend. And it, it premiered with like almost like 80, 90 million dollars. Wow. And came in second place. And came in second place. <laughs> so it never hit number one at the box office, but did like still did colossal. That's pretty it was good. it's so it's the best runner up of all time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can we all agree here that the dumbest scene in this film is Jake Gyllenhaal and his friends outrunning the cold? Uh I, not the wolf attack. Like, sure. That I mean, I mean, I, I get that it was set up ahead of time, and it's like, how the fuck would those wolves just survive both the <laughs> fucking tsunami and the f- everything freezing over? It's like all of a sudden those fucking wolves escape because they just they got out of their cages in the zoo. That's kind of dumb, but them outrunning the fucking everything freezing—that's not <laughs> how it works. Everything would just freeze automatically. There's no like, oh, we need to run away from everything freezing. <laughs> Um, it's so stupid. What's interesting is I had a couple of uh, I, I saw this. I had to, I saw this movie like a little bit later after it came out, and I had a couple of scenes described to me by friends that I think uh, at school. Um, there's a scene where, and they sounded like funny scenes. The scene where you said like the news reporter in LA getting taken out by a flying sign. Like I, when I heard that scene described to me. That my friends made it sound like it was funny. When you actually saw the scene, I'm like, oh my god, that's horrifying. Um, this another scene that was described to me as a funny scene is, oh, giant hail like kills a guy. I'm like, that sounds hilarious. And then you watch it, it's like actually it's not funny at all. Like, um, yeah, you kind of like I don't know yeah, how yeah. to feel because it's just like, yeah. Well, it is made for the spectacle oh, of wanting to watch people and die. Remember how I com- how I said I watched this movie when COVID-19 was first becoming a problem and I related deeply to the whole theme of having to stay inside and keep safe? Well, another thing I related to was the scene where Jake Gyllenhaal gets into a spat with the police officer who i guess took charge of guiding the survivors if these people go outside they will freeze to death like he is literally like everyone is like saying oh we have to leave new york city we have to get out and go find a refuge like we have to flee the city and then he keeps screaming at everyone you can't survive in this storm you'll die like isn't that like Oh, I don't know. Like talking to someone who won't wear a fucking mask. Oh God, let's not get Sorry. into that. But yes, yeah. it's very comparable. Sure, then, there's always going to be the offense of people. Sure, you know, when oh, we, I don't want to get into up that. Up until COVID, we actually saw scenes like that and said, "No, people wouldn't be this stupid." And then real life happened, and we're like, "Oh wait, yeah." Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, my Michael, what did you what did you think of this movie? I don't think you've it's fine it's middling it didn't do as much for me uh as many of the movies we've talked to- about tonight like i just think it's like a little it's just, i just think it's pretty average um mm. i do kind of like the stuff that's happening in the library like there was a few kind of like interesting uh kind of moments or kind of like kind of like lines here and there that kind of drew me in but i mean that's not really like 
Like, I think that is kind of the heart of the movie, but that's not what people went to go see yeah. this movie for. Yeah. So it's kind they, of <laughs> antithetical to any quality of. They went to see movie. shit get um, destroyed. Oh, by the way, Cody, uh, did you yeah. like? Did you did you were Mike? You were Michael Canazes. What did you guys think of that cheesy scene where a tornado specifically goes after the Hollywood sign? <laughs> that was funny. I mean, <laughs> I, I it's just it's just another landmark getting destroyed. That's well, just sort of a trope of his films. Roland Emmerich wanted that yeah. scene in the movie to base that shot in the movie to basically like give the finger to the studio system. Who ironically he wouldn't be mm-hmm. where he is without it. So very true, yeah. very true. Yeah, I was gonna say he he doesn't exactly seem like a candidate <laughs> that's not benefited yeah. from the studio system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. Well, cool. I guess. What was the last film? Uh, yeah, the last one is yeah. for me. I saw this in the theater, and I had such a great time that it actually very comparable to eating fast food. Oh, you yeah. feel like shit afterwards because I think mm. I was done with disaster films after two, 2012. It was oh. just too much of a good thing that just left this like empty impact on me where I, I felt like I grew up. Yeah. I honestly felt like I grew out of that subgenre. Like it, it's like I, yeah, I don't, I don't care about these films anymore because of this film and because of how overly long and kind of an indulgent mess it was. It's way and too I didn't long. like that. It's way too long. It's very self indulgent and it's obviously dated because. We're talking almost 10 years from when this film, when <laughs> the Mayans predicted that we were going to die because the ca- they just stopped doing the calendar. Oh, no. <laughs> I literally remember the day. Uh, it was like December. What was it? December 21st, 2012. Yeah. I put on my Facebook. I, put, I literally wrote on my Facebook, before it happens, everybody, I just want you all to know I've always hated you. <laughs> Um, my buddy Andrew. I got like tons of likes. Got tons of likes. My buddy Andrew. That's funny. uh, Who I went to high school with. uh, He posted on on the day when nothing happened. He posted that quote from Morpheus in Matrix Reloaded. We are still here. Yeah. I mean, just take that scene of John Cusack running for that plane as the volcano is exploding <gasps> behind him. If you watch that scene out of context, you're like, this is a, this is a comedy, right? Yeah. Like the, this is, this is this literally a comedy. It's him running on a green screen. It just looks hilariously yeah. bad. Can I just say, Cody, remember yeah. how you said the day after tomorrow has it all, you know, they have like hail, uh, torna- hail tornadoes, tidal waves, uh, oh snow killer, God. killer snowstorms, hurricanes. This has it all. Oh, 2012 <laughs> Trump's, the day after, 2012 makes the day after tomorrow look tame. 2012 has uh, tidal waves that take out a cruise ship. It has earthquakes that rip apart Los Angeles. Look, L.A. literally pancakes and slides into the ocean from the fault line ripping in half. Or it rips like three ways in one. Uh, yeah. Yellow, the Yellowstone super volcano actually goes kerplooey, which is something that may or may not happen in our lifetime, by the way. In 2020, we had some tremors over at Yellowstone, and there's actually a theory that we might see a super eruption there in the next 10 years. I don't know. Um, there's also uh, a giant ki- killer tsunamis uh, destroy mountain ranges. 
Um, yeah, no, killer tsunamis, super volcanoes, uh, earth killer earthquakes. Did I miss anything? I think that's kind of all, yeah. yeah. But it's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you guys, do you guys, okay, going into the tone of this film, again, with Roland Emmerich films, I don't know whether or not I'm supposed to be laughing or supposed to be into the intensity of a scene. There's no scene that points this out better than, do you guys remember when the earthquake was starting to happen in LA and they had to all rush into the limo and race it to the airport. And they're literally honking at this elderly, these two elderly women in the car in front of them, like honk, honk, get out of the way, get out of the way. And it cuts to like this flat comedic shot. It's like straight out of an episode of Seinfeld. Like when they're in a car and they're like, like, Oh, what's that noise behind us? And then they crash into, (laughs) they crash into like a fucking like piece of like the earth breaking apart. And I'm like, I, I literally the tone I have I have no idea I'm like lost yeah. I'm like I don't know how I'm supposed to feel during uh, this. there's by the way you don't they had okay it would have been fine okay if the movie just focused on John Cusack trying to get his family to safety that would have been enough for me no it has to focus on 20 different characters Noah I am like almost I I feel like I'm exaggerating but I it doesn't feel like because you have uh, Chaitwell Chai- OG4 yeah. is the dude who discovers the whole end of the world thing. Um, you have the president and his daughter, Danny Glover and Thandie Newton. You have uh, these this random Russian billionaire who is investing in this boxer, and he has these two bratty twin ki- boys. And oh, then I I laughed my ass off during his death scene where he like throws both of his sons to safety and he's just like falling to his death i laugh every time i see that um then there's also uh the pilot and this girl who uh there's also also uh amanda pete who is john cusack's ex-wife is dating this plastic surgeon who apparently gave a boob job to the girlfriend of the russian guy and she evan Evan, are, are you saying that John Cusack is recently divorced and his kids oh, don't like him? No, you had to and there's a with... wait, 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 wait. You're saying that there's a rivalry? There's a rival with the stepfather. Uh, this is this is this is groundbreaking. You couldn't right leave now. that trope alone. Oh my could you? god. <laughs> Why couldn't no they... one can leave this trope alone. <laughs> like, it's like, seriously. Like, oh, and by the way, Roland Emmerich would not leave this trope alone ever because a, two years late, like four, three, four years later, no, in 2013, he brought back the washed up dad trope in White House Down, which is not a natural disaster. Oh, That's yeah, a man-made yeah, yeah. disaster movie. We're not talking about man-made disaster movies. We're talking about natural disasters. And he couldn't leave the... He can't... He, he... He can't let it go. Yeah, he couldn't yeah. leave the he, irris- he could not leave the irresponsible father figure trope alone, even for movies that have nothing to do with disasters. But so, yeah, uh, that's actually one of his better films, in my opinion. White House Down is actually quite a bit of fun. It's 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 no White House Down is yeah. something I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it yeah. was just the right amount of over the top in where like I can still take this seriously. Like it's it's good. Yeah, Same right. thing goes for. It's basically Die Hard. It's basically Die Hard in the no, White no, House. No, no, no. Olympus is Fallen <laughs> yeah. is Die Hard in the White House. Uh, no, Olympus. Is... Oh yeah, that was the same year. Yep. Wasn't that the exact same year? Yeah. 
Oh, another yeah. another uh, copycat movie. Yeah. Oh my god. So get back on topic. Yeah. So 2012. Um, something I actually predicted would happen in the movie when I saw I saw this movie in the theater, and the one scene that actually made me legitimately like afraid was um there was a scene where uh yellowstone actually explodes and that scene was actually like the the initial shot where yellowstone erupts that was actually really scary but it had two seconds later it's completely yeah yeah woody harrelson's character undercuts everything i forgot when i was naming off characters i completely forgot woody harrelson plays a random ass conspiracy nut living in yellowstone national (laughs) park why i have goosebumps that's all i remember him saying that stupid he's he's always worked he's always worked a lot but there was like a span of like a couple years starting kind of around when that movie came out where he was in like everything he was just popping up like crazy yeah i remember that movie came (laughs) 2012 came out two weeks after zombie land which was which i also saw him in and yeah I remember seeing that. And 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 here's the other thing. Um, by the way, uh, in terms of characters, there's one trope I completely forgot forgot to mention. Uh, man, uh, human villain in a movie about the end of the fucking world. You have Oliver Platt. Uh, like, wh- what the hell? Why did he need <laughs> hey, to be a villain? Hey, here's 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 one thing nice about Oliver Platt. He's from Windsor, Ontario. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. yeah, there you I go. I knew he was Canadian. Yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't realize he was from there. That's that's awesome. Hey, Cody, if you oh, ever if you, yeah. if you ever run into him and he's at a restaurant eating lava cake, get into his food and say, "It's <laughs> fucking Walter, asshole! You're not getting to me. He's not getting to me." He would. That was he, a little bit of a deep cut. He, he would. <laughs> he, he would probably say, "Oh, right, 2012. Uh, I'm happy with the paycheck I got." Yeah. <laughs> Evan, I appreciate yeah. the reference. It was kind of yeah. a tip. Oh, I'm not sure how many people. I don't know. I, I don't know. That was yeah. that was from Chef. <laughs> oh, yeah. okay. But but with two that I appreciate but, it. But I appreciate Michael, what do you think of this yeah. giant fucking end of the world movie? Oh my god. Well, well, sadly, I don't have a lot to say about this one. I I, I never got around to seeing twenty. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I I don't know. Again, I don't know if this is just one of these things only i find funny but i remember thinking at the time it was so silly that they made this movie called 2012 that came out in 2009 (laughs) like part of me like part of me was like hey why didn't you just release it in 2012 and then the other part of me was like it's a little too silly to make a movie that takes place only three years in the future i just remember not being able to wrap my head around why it was made so i don't think i ever saw it (laughs) There's literally a scene in this movie, Michael, where Amanda Pete and the the uh, whatever uh, like stepfather character, they're in the supermarket and they're talking. They're like, the guy goes, "I don't know, honey. Yeah. I just think that something's pulling us apart." And then as that happened, literally a ca- a cavern <laughs> no. opens up in the ground with an earthquake separating the two of them. And then that was the end of the scene. That sounds like a panel from like the far yeah. side. <laughs> Um, I pred- when I saw 2012 in the theater for the first time, uh, I predicted the stepdad would die, and he dies. 
But but it takes so long. Like I remember the whole movie was them inside the gear of oh right. We have to give Michael a little bit of context here. So so okay. Mm-hmm. This is what's so nice about the stakes in the day after tomorrow is that you got the you know you got Bilbo Baggins in home himself saying, well, <laughs> we're in another ice age. The only thing we can do is save as many people as we can. You know. Okay. Good. That's that's. I mean, that's enough stakes you can do. It's the end of the fucking world, right? In 2012. So how the hell can you get more <laughs> higher stakes than that than just... You're basically just, like, dodging your inevitable death, right? But oh, no, no, Michael. Yeah. There's hope. They built, and I'm not kidding, in this ham-fisted, biblical, shoehorned in of a reference, they make arcs. Uh, yeah, no. They make three <laughs> giant ships. Yikes. They make three giant... Three giant arcs. Literally carrying, like, you know, priceless art that they don't want to be destroyed. Animals. Rich people are only allowed to be Oh, yeah, I know. And the whole movie, it literally, it it felt like the whole movie, the family was trying to escape inside, like, the propeller, like, gear system Mm -hmm. underneath the ship. The whole movie takes place there. That's all I remember is it just, it took, like, an hour for them just to get inside the arc. It was so annoying. The whole, and by the way, like, um... Chaiwo Ojafor, it tries to be the voice of reason, but it ultimately falls flat because uh, I saw Film Brain's review of this movie, and he there's a scene where like he sees how big the hotel rooms is, like, what? you could fit ten people in here, yeah, and then you'd risk like starvation, resource draining, like ten times faster, like so I understand where he's coming from. It's like, mm-hmm. why are we saving only rich people? Why couldn't we save the common man? Like, I get that, but at the same time, it's like, uh, you would cause more problems than you'd solve by saving more people. Or how about we just accept it as a species? Let's just all go down. No. It's like, but, like but the thing, just accept yeah. it. But Cody, this is one of the things you have to understand about Roland Emmerich. Roland Emmerich is obsessed with conspiracy theories. The underlying theme of this movie is, I remember the first teaser, there's a, a an, an eerie caption, how would the world's governments prepare 6.5 billion people for the end of the world? They wouldn't. And it's like, he's what Roland Emmerich is getting at is, if the world were actually to end, we, the common Joes, wouldn't know about it. The richest, most powerful people in the world would. And there's a reason why we hear so many articles about rich people digging, building bunkers even today. Because, like, they are... Mm-hmm. There's a theory that's not so not so much of a theory as it is, you know, whispers that the richest people in the world are preparing for something really bad to go down on this planet and they're stocking up for it. They're preparing for it. Why do you think they're building yeah. bunkers? Why do you think so many of them are investing in space travel? So, yeah. Actually, actually you just reminded me of something when you said the trailer. I'm not I kid you not. The teaser trailer for this is like um I think it was like a giant wall of waters going over like the mountain and it's like washing away like a um, monastery, like a, a monastery with this Buddhist guy, like ringing like the bells and he's like praying and it's all like visual and it's set to the exact same eerie tone that the shining trailer had where the blood rushes out of the elevator. Mm. It's like Roland Emmerich. You're not trying to be like Spielberg. Now you're trying to be like Kubrick. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Instead of it being a big wash of blood coming out of the elevator, you got walls of water coming over the 
the mountains and washing away everything. I'm like, oh my god. I I don't even know what to say. <laughs> this movie just pisses me off. It's just it seems like too good of a thing. But like it's just too much. Well, and it's just so annoying mm-hmm. and it killed the subgenre for me. I just well, it killed it. It's funny it you should, it for me. That's very appro- I'm going to appropriately tack on Roland Emmerich intended this disaster movie to be the end of all disaster movies. Like, he wanted to just make it so that every other disaster movie that gets made after this won't top this. So... It, it actually it actually, se- huh. it actually seems like the the most disaster films that do come out are ones that are, like, the direct-to-video, like, asylum piece yeah. of craps that are trying to keep this alive. Yeah. But, like, who, who, yeah. who the hell is going to watch those? Yeah. You know, like... They have the acting yeah. of like you know, of a worse than a preschool high, uh, worse than a grade school play with special effects that look like they're done on like After Effects by some Joe Schmo. Like, who gives a shit about those? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's well. On that note, I mean, is there any other feelings you guys have about this certain subgenre that hasn't really been said yet? Um... I made a prediction, and I think there might be some truth to it, but when COVID-19 happened, I predicted that uh, Hollywood would start going back on a trend and more disaster movies would start getting greenlit in the coming decade. And I think we're already kind of seeing that with... um, uh, What's that? uh, Well, there was was a really interesting series. uh, I I can't remember the name of it, and I can't remember... Uh, I think it was about like a, an, no, there's a series that's about like an, an oncoming asteroid. I can't remember which series it's, which, which, which streaming service it's on. And I can't remember its name, but I just remember, and I'm thinking, yeah, they're going to start green lighting. The studios are going to want more disaster series mm. and they're going to want more disaster movies because like in real life, we as a society for the past almost two years have been living in a real life disaster scenario. So people are going to find the disaster genre sure. more relatable in the, in the 2020s. Ah, so you think there's probably going to be right. a revival. It might come back and Hey, if you yeah, can yeah. do, if you can add innovation to the genre, please do it. Like, um, I, I'm going to, uh, even though like, it's not very memorable. I will. I do think that deep impact was probably the most innovative, of all these disaster movies we talked about in that because it it ditches all the tropes that I talked about and, yeah. and does and and it is it's, it does mm. its own thing and I really admire it for that. I do wish it was more memorable like you guys agree but if it the fact that I remember yeah. the fact that I just remember how unique it was from other movies of this caliber is what yeah. gives, is what has me respect it. But I feel like you know Yeah, I'm open for that. This yeah. genre could come mm-hmm. back and I I believe this genre can come back and if it does filmmakers if you're listening to this please add new tropes to the genre innovate it make it better <laughs> make good disaster movies yeah i agree i agree yeah. I, I mean not that does that like the, uh, the the movies we talked about they're hokey they have charms to them but ultimately uh the the screenwriters in the 90s and 2000s they just had Bob's big book of movie cliches on their de- on their bedside, <laughs> and they just read like a couple pages before their writing sessions. Exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, no, make disaster yeah. movies great again. 
<laughs> Start the hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Michael? Um, I like this genre, and I hope that it sticks around for a while. Like I was kind of saying earlier in the conversation, I really do think a good disaster movie is bolstered by a good cast. I think that um, I really like movies that are just about people banding together, whether it's a disaster movie or heist movie or superhero movie or what. I like people throwing aside their differences for the greater good and just kind of like overcoming something. I think that that's like, uh, we've talked a lot about um, tropes and stuff, but I do think that that's a formula that's always going to win for me. Like, I do like that idea always. So I would love to see more disaster movies. I'd love to see better disaster movies. And I think I love ensemble movies in like any genre. So whenever you can get like kind of like six to ten kind of key like really good like players and actors that sort of have this like shared universe kind of story going on i'm always gonna like that yeah so like whenever whenever a movie can kind of be like an actress playhouse and they can kind of like showcase some sort of good chops i'm always gonna like that so i want to see more disaster movies and i want them to be good and i want them to uh curate good talent yeah (laughs) yeah i i it's it's definitely a like I said, a subgenre that's kind of like a, you know, a light watch, a guilty pleasure, whatever, however you want to say it. It was always so, f- yeah. it was always so fun to even like, whether it's like a disaster movie or some sort of survival thriller, like to point out, like you almost play a game in your head of like, who's going to die and who's going to live. You're like, okay, clearly this person's expendable. He's going to die. Maybe they'll keep this person around. Okay. That person's definitely going to die. And then by the end of the movie, you always like just play a check just check mark in your head like was i right or was i wrong that that's kind of the appeal to me is and then very occasionally like there are some thrilling moments in these movies like whether they pull it off effectively or if you're caught up in the the bad humor or the trope or whatever but you know sometimes like you get caught up yeah. in the spectacle of it and it's it's i don't know it's 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 I get a kick out of it. It's not cinema. <laughs> I mean, there's some parts that may look cinematic and have the appeal to it, but it's not like, you know, real cinema. It's just like, it's like candy, mm. you know? And there's nothing wrong with having a little bit of candy. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, gentlemen, thank you for destroying the earth tonight with me. Thank it you. It was fun. Thank you so much. Let's do it. Michael Let's do Lake. it again sometime. Michael, my. Michael Lake rose the lakes and the oceans and the waters <laughs> and made everybody everybody bleed. Evan Mead. <laughs> Fucking no, I'm trying to make a goddamn pun with this. <laughs> There's some pun in there somewhere. I had to let it like flourish. <laughs> God damn it. No, thank you guys for joining me again on Pop Talk. And everybody listening, definitely subscribe to So to Speak. Drop a lo- like. Drop a comment, and I'm going to go have sex with Mother Nature now. Bye. Have fun. (laughs) 